How can you walk away from something and then come towards it? Walk around the podcast. Small podcast. See, this is what I did. Is JD, our guest, who I haven't introduced yet. No. False. Suggested a cat quote for me to open Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly punted the responsibility of impersonating Keith David to you. I, I can't do it. It's impossible. Uh, but I, I just tried to. Give, if anyone else could do it, voice, then he'd be out of a job or he'd, whatever. He'd be he'd down be two homes. Right. Or, right. Yeah. I don't know how many homes Keith David has. Number of homes. I'm Googling look it. it. Look it up. Yep. Uh, not seeing uh, an answer to that. Weird, weird that I can't just look that up. Apparently, there, he's been in more than 300 movies, though. Is there anyone who that works for who you can just Google number of homes? Mitt Romney. Okay. Remember when that was the thing with Mitt Romney? It was like, he has nine homes or whatever. <laughs> he's so rich. You know how there are all those websites that have like completely false celebrity network yeah. yes. listings? There should be a similar sort of celebrity yeah. real estate numbers. Yeah, how many how many homes they got? Right. Celebrity and it doesn't have, to have any connection to I, reality. I like celebrity net worth because it's like if I was asked how much a celebrity is worth. That's yes. what it always feels like to me. Where yeah. they're like, ah, I don't know, $5 million? Like, it's just like someone's just kind of like thinking about it for five seconds. It's also funny. I feel like the last time I checked me, it was like $150,000. Mm. And I'm like, how come I'm the only one who doesn't have an inflated? <laughs> I think inflated, there should be, be a, a, a sibling site to that sure. where it just guesstimates how happy they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will say that when I Googled your um, net worth, uh-huh. Uh, it says various things such as that you are a Pisces. True, I'm cusp, but but yeah. you're a Pisces. Okay, uh, that you're American, that you're white. Correct. Ooh. Religion correct. believes in God. Nothing listed Ooh. there. Pretty much the opposite. I have a religion, and I'm not sure I believe in God. <laughs> um, residence, and I just like this. This yeah. is the only thing I want to read. He lives in an unknown fashion in New York City, New York. Yeah, that's pretty I just like the weird AI generated yes, like right. you know like descriptions. He lives in an unknown fashion. So I mean, like, he's in New York. That's all we can as say. As friends of Griffin, House, I think apartment, we can all boats, yes, no, yeah, no, we can all say dead we, on. It's unknown. It's yes. dead on. It's dead on. Uh, uh, Zach Cherry, friend, friend of the podcast, a uh, future guest. I'll say that uh, we looked up his celebrity net worth or his AI generated biography right. on some site like that, and there was the best line I've ever seen on one of these, which is. He is very funny. He is always making jokes. <laughs> I <laughs> he mean, he is always making jokes. Uh, they're getting it right. Yeah. Zach Cherry, very funny. Griffin lives unknown. in an unknown fashion. Unknown fashion. Oh, uh, Zach Cherry a Scorpio. Amazing. Sam Rogal, another friend of the podcast, past and future guest, has said to me, sometimes at just random moments in the day, I stop and think, how is Griffin existing at this mm, moment? Mm, yes, the, like, the stress what, of being you your friend. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? What do you have in your oven? Like, what do you uh, store in there? Oh, a lot of things. I bet it's like toys. But not Books. like, right, yeah, yeah. Not, not oven things. Like no, shoes, no. toys, like stuff. Like no, no, no. I, have, I have a proper place for the shoes, but yeah, toys and books, basically. <laughs> Some paperwork. <laughs> you know, my social security card, birth certificate. Uh, he does it so if uh, anyone comes knocking, he can just burn it all. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Smart. Yeah, yeah. that's smart. Uh, hey, everybody. Mm-hmm. This is a podcast called Blank Check. With Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce baby. Mm -hmm. This is a mini series on the films of Henry Selleck. It is called Ben Hosley's The Pod Mare Before Casmus. Oh, man. I'm taking credit for this mini series. Yeah, Yeah. You're the producer. 
producers right? always should be listed yes. above the title. Producers yeah. always get above the title credit. That's yep. how film works. And the that director is, is forgotten. It yes. works. And this podcast has a director, and we don't talk about him. We don't talk about him ever. Our guest today, returning to the main feed, returning to the public, who's been demanding <laughs> uh, to talk Coraline, the best use of 3D in the history of cinema. I'll say it. I mean, it's my favorite use of 3D in the history. I, I don't think a 3D... That's my... Griff is trying to revive a non-argument from years ago. I can't even remember what episode. This is like on. the maybe like this is one of the Star Wars episodes. I think probably. it is the Star Wars. Episode. Yes. That sounds right. Yeah, because we were probably discussing technology. Yeah. you know, movie pioneering. JD Amato is here to talk Coraline. Hello, it's so good to be back. Hi, JD. It's nice to have you back. We Welcome had a couple. Back. We had there was a couple on the books that went off the books because of busyness stuff. So it's been a minute. Wait, wait, what was on the books? That, oh, well, you were supposed to be on Evil Dead 2 at one point. That's, that's what, and is I that what you're referring to? another one I'm forgetting. There was another one. I don't remember what, but it's been a minute. I mean, there's your fabled April Fool's Day episode, which will which never happen. will never happen. It's right. done. And that's, that's your decision, by the way, to yeah, be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean. It was an idea. It gestated. You explored it, and you kind of put it away, and we supported you. Yeah, well, also covid and, well, yes. COVID and yes, and like it's like that. the enthusiasm. It, it was something that would have. It, it was you know, a cute idea. Yeah. when it would have made sense in 2019. It or would whatever. be ridiculous yes. for us to do it now. It would be bad. Yeah, no one would be. But into I also it don't anymore. know if we should say what it is. No, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. We ever yeah, suddenly feel or whatever, like. But like, yes, no. You know. No, I, I like it. It was from like mystery. a looser, junkier yes. time in the podcast, too. Yes. Where it was kind of like, I don't know, could we do some stupid thing? Exactly. I don't but, think it would fit now. JD, am I allowed to say that you're kind of like a Michael Clayton of, of TV shows? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's Descri- interesting. Describe. Well, that, you're, you're, you know who Michael Clayton is from the film Michael Clayton, George Clooney. Yes. Yeah. He's like a fixer. Right. It's like he's on staff and everyone's like, oh, he's a lawyer. And they're like, well, he is a lawyer. Like, he passed the bar? Well, I'm not even saying that thing. Like, the opening but scene of Michael Clayton is, things. like, Dennis O'Hare calling Michael Clayton at 3 o'clock in the morning. And Michael Clayton right. is like, fuck, okay, this is my number one priority now. Yes. I got to solve this. Yeah. That- and and you have a lot of jobs mm-hmm. that will come up very last minute. Yes. And that then become all-consuming for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, some of them are publicly known. Some of them are not. Yep. But so a couple of times over the last couple of years, we've like had an episode on the books. Yes. And then it, we're, we're not trying to withhold JD from the public. JD is not hiding, but sometimes logistically it becomes impossible. Yeah, it's been, t- I mean, there's been so many ups and downs of career stuff, COVID stuff, all of that things. And- Which is weird because the entertainment industry has never been better. It's it's <laughs> the most comfortable, calm, and stable it's ever been. Well, the hard thing is, is that you're the, the pod, well, here, I'll say this. It has been so much fun to watch the podcast continue to grow and evolve and become such a, a big thing. We were talking earlier about I, when I first did the podcast, we were in a basement of a bar talking about Star Wars. And well, now you're, you're conflating. conflating two things. Yeah, the, the basement of the bar was where he did his was talking uh, to Chris Gethard show. Oh, I guess that. Oh, but yes. It, but we were in, the, we were in a boom closet. You're in a broom closet. It was the four of us. That's true. That was the first time David and yes. I ever did a podcast right. together was him subbing in for Riley Solner on the episode you did. Right. Yeah. But anyways, the point being now, it's been so fun to see how, you know, how many fans and how much people love this show mm-hmm. to the point where, no joke, I've been in meetings, mm-hmm. like meetings with people who are big people in the industry and they'll be like, I'm a big blankie. I'm a huge fan of, and, and they'll like want to talk to me about like Speed Racer or something. So it's been truly, I feel like 
I get like. I mean, to be fair, you that meeting was with Pop Eraser, right? Yes, that, Pop that, that, that was, it was with Pop Fuck. Eraser. Yes. I was like, what's it, is Pop or Pops? I can't remember. Yes. Uh, not John Goodman. <laughs> no, Pops. Yeah, Pops. Pops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been so fun to see all of that stuff happen. And but no, that, actually, it was with Royalton because they were trying to get him to sign on the dot. Oh, yes. Sure. Do, Royalton, know, yeah. Royalton content. Royalton, they're trying was, to launch a streaming service. Royalton wanted some workflow help with uh, <laughs> how they're producing stuff. So I got pulled in. I don't know if I ever shared this anecdote on Mike before, and maybe I'll keep it anonymous. But a a friend of the show who works in uh, television had a meeting with uh, development execs. Yeah. And they were noting him on something that he thought was stupid. And he pushed back by saying, you know, on a recent episode of Blank Check, Griffin and David were saying, citing this other movie as an example of a story getting away with not having to do that and actually working out better. And the exec went, huh, Blank Check said that? Interesting. And backed off the note. Oh, my gosh. You guys are note busters? That's crazy. That's maybe the most satisfying thing I've heard about our podcast accomplishing is killing bad exec notes. I think that's great. I heard a similar story, and I won't reveal the source, but there was, a, you know, someone who was facing kind of a similar situation, sure. and the executive was just like, "I think that this is the scene; it's just too dry." And the person pushed back, and they were like, "But producer Ben, <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. Loves wet stuff, and I, I just really think we need to keep this scene." Moist as hell. Why mm-hmm. is this scene about dry, law-abiding citizens? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wet cry. <laughs> All right. Uh, this this it's has nice been... To have you back, JD. Yes. It's and, nice and to be here. This is one of those episodes that was sort of just pinned of, obviously, Selleck will happen eventually mm. if Wendell and Wilde ever comes out and JD will do Coraline. Have you like, seen Wendell and Wilde yet? I have not seen mm-hmm. Wendell and Wilde yet. It, it is available to see. Oh, is just, it? Just saw it this week. Mm. At the time we're recording, it will go up on Netflix tonight. Wow. Oh, like, right. It's going up on Netflix. Yes. There's been an unpublicized Oscar qualifying theatrical run. Oh, I didn't know that. Barely. Um, And then it's going up on Netflix tonight. At the time of the recording, it will have been out for months by the time people listen to this. But fucking rules. Um, It's good. You like it. I I really like it. I really like it. And I'll say this. This might be one of the harder director rankings at the end of this movie. Interesting. Oh, I was about to, I was about to ask and I'm like oh, I think I forgot you do the full ranking at the end. So we I do. Can't it can't also it's not this is a hard one because there's only 5. There's movies. only five. It's only 5. I mean like Fosse was a similar deal. Right. But but this they're 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 pretty close together. I know okay, what you mean. Okay, can I ask a question? Okay. Are your ones clear to you? Yes. I think 1 and 2 I I think they're two movies pretty much dead tied for 1 and 2. I haven't rewatched Monkey Bone as of the time of this recording. Okay, but rude. I think three, four, and five might also all be on a similar level. I think there's, there's two one, levels. two at like five star masterpiece, and then three movies I put between three and four. Interesting. I mean, I would agree with that. I just know I know what the number one is. Yeah, I think that's clear. Yeah. We're not going to say it. We're not going to we? say it. This is why okay, I think it'll be fine. interesting in the next episode. All right. Well, I, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, but I, I will say, I do I have something I want to say about Coraline. Clear. Yes. This is my favorite film that Henry Selleck has directed. I'm not giving anything away okay. or whatever. Okay. But yeah. like, this would be my favorite film yeah. he's made. Right. Okay. So that's like a hint. Interesting. That's interesting. like a little, little dusting of clues for people to, you know, you know, they can follow the trail. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this movie uh, fucking rips. It is so good. Ben, you had not seen it before. Really? No. Okay. Never I've never seen Coraline it. before. She's kind of Benny. 
Yeah, she you know, is. Cool, spooky, you know, oh, kid digging around in the mud. Like a little stinker. Like she's yeah. definitely a yeah, little stinker. Definitely brat. got some tood. I think even like sort of similar dynamics somewhat with my parents. They both were like working pretty ben. hard. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Only child. Only child. I wasn't even making that yeah. connection. With workaholic parents. You yes. talk a lot about your like only child symptoms, syndrome with symptoms. older first time parents who were very preoccupied with their careers and adult stuff, quote unquote. Yeah. And didn't have time to like entertain you. Definitely. Or go to your level. I did not think about how hard this movie might hit for you until right now. Yeah, it it got me in a place where uh, it's so dreamlike. And so I feel like it really tapped into some kind of interior place. Um, okay, here's a, a starter question. Because you're the three of us have siblings, J.D., David, and I. Yes, mm-hmm. I have two older sisters. Mm-hmm. What's our sibling count here? I'm oldest of three, right. but my brother's three years younger, so I didn't have very long as sole domain. Yeah. Same. I'm, a, I'm the older brother. I do have a half-sister, but I didn't grow up with her, so like that sort of doesn't, you know, it's, it's different vibe. That's weird. So she was in New York, but you didn't grow up with her? Go on, J.D. That. Ben, what was your, I, for, I forget your siblings. I'm an only He's child. He's an only child. Right. Like Coraline. He's right. like Coraline. Right. Okay. Yes. Understood. Classic Coraline, Ben, over here. Yeah. Ben's a bit of a Coraline. Yeah. I was an unpleasant kid, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Coraline is unpleasant. I, well, okay. I'm with her. I do, but, but I she's think a it's a little riddle. I think or it's a, little... a strength of the movie. Yeah. 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 Because she, she's definitely a, in pain mode. She's pain in the neck mode like, for a lot um, of the movie. The way that she does it, like she can't make friends, really. Yes. I yeah. related to. Right. A she's lot. a little prickly on a first little, meeting. I mean, she, there's one kid you see her interact with the entire movie. Yeah, to be fair, he's a little annoying. I know, but she's, yeah. she just comes on so she, hard she from the get-go. I mean, it is also and that kind of... at the end of the movie, she's sort of like jokingly negging him. How how old do we think? Like, Coraline's what, like 11 or whatever, right? I think so. So she's here's a question yeah. I want to start with. Because I, I, I do feel like when you're like 10, 11, like boys and girls yeah. we're, we're, back then... We're going to dig into the psychology of Coraline have, as a character. Have anyone Has anyone here read the book? No, no, I've not. I feel like we're a generation too old for it. Yeah, yeah. I've that book read came Coraline. out okay. in two thousand two, so I would have been like sixteen. Right. Yeah, and I was like, whatever. Romilly, my sister, read it, and I feel like not only read it, but it was just like one of the books that everyone reads. It's a and little, I, it's a slim volume. It's, I think it's, it's, it's yeah. continued generationally yeah. as yeah. one of the books that every kid reads when they can read oh, chapter books for the well, first time. I, the book is really, really good. I really recommend mm-hmm. it. Honestly, if if anything in Coraline piqued your interest in the movie, I would say read the book. There, it's Neil Gaiman. It's mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. They're different in a lot of ways. One of the things that I think is interesting that I wanted to bring up is that in the book, I think Coraline's much younger. Mm-hmm. She feels much younger. Yeah. The Coraline in the movie feels much more, much older and a lot more emotionally verbal. Yeah. Yes. Right. Which I thought was very interesting. She's quite capable. Yes. Which is I love that in a animated protagonist. Like, yeah. She's still a kid, but she's like a pretty independent. You know, happily independent kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and very self-assured. She's quite self-assured, although I would say, you know, her prickliness maybe belies a little bit of self-confidence. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, yeah. That's another thing that I thought was interesting is that in the adaptation, the movie, a lot of the characters are a little pricklier than yeah. in the book, which mm-hmm. is all, was always interesting to me because it's well, got a little. This movie was made by a warm-hearted and generous man who's always nice, so I don't get that at all. Yeah, well, that I mean, there is a lot of it's for a kids' movie. There's a lot mm-hmm. of 
edge running through yes. this yes. in a lot of Just ways which I think we're going to touch yes. on is there's moments where you're like a kids movie this is what like but this is what i mean so this exactly. is one of the reasons this is a a, a, a great film yes yes um and yes. the fact that this kid's fantasy like i'm that's why asterage i really think she i'm gonna say she's 11 i'm gonna say she's okay. basically like a yeah. fifth grader yeah right the fantasy of a kid that age is still like i get everything i want yes and it's almost a little mean like you know like you know what i mean like right. it's so selfish what she's the paradise she's being offered right it's not just like whatever video games and cakes it's like he's silent because you don't like when he talks yeah. you know right. what i mean like that like that's slightly unnerving like well, lack of empathy this, that kids have the fascinating thing that she like resents that her parents don't conform to like traditional sure. 50s sitcom gender roles right 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 right, right. that she wants her dad to act like father knows best, and she wants her mom to be in the kitchen baking with an apron on. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, right, is in the book and the movie, in the movie in particular, right, the the, the exploration seems to be of that thing that you go through as a kid, right, as you mm-hmm. have all these hopes and dreams of what you want your life to be. Yes. And then when you actually interface those, you realize that's like, oh, the life, well, the life that you have is a life that you want, which I would say is the theme of every Henry Selleck film. Mm. Uh, yeah, sure. Yes, yes. Sure, yeah. Like, I'm a big proponent of the fact that I think for a lot of directors, most of their films are about themselves in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, it's interesting, cause like, I can think of like sort of like a lot of categories of directors, but I, I'll, I can break people down into two. There's directors who make the same film over and over again, mm-hmm. and there's directors that make like a lot of different movies. Yes. I always think it's so interesting a lot of people sometimes begrudge directors or creators that create the same thing over and over again, where it's like, they're just doing the same thing. But if they're good, they're revealing different. Yes, and I think that's fascinating to me because what that means is that that person's trying to work something out and they're just going to keep doing it. That's their life's work. I support it. This is another thing I find. some directors shouldn't stray outside of what they're good at. And when they try, you're like, oh, this they they don't have any connection to it. Or they're not passionate. You know, it's like they're not. Yeah, exactly. There's not a there there that they're trying to wrestle with or process. No, and I mean, it's so often when people have this sort of like, oh, great, another one of these attitudes. I'm like, do you actually want to see that director make the type of movie that you claim you want to see? Right. Would you not rather see someone else make that type of film? Right. This person's film cannot be for your liking but it's like if you're complaining that wes anderson is making a you know a a twee uh uh, outsiders versus systems comedy uh tinged with pathos and father issues then it's like what what do you think you want out of him maybe you just don't like him that's fine now to that end yeah, Henry Selick's is particularly funny because it is so specifically the same story over and over again, right? Yes, sure. It is always like a character who's like lured by circumstance, by their circumstance to a, another universe. Sure, so like it, a it, Skellington being lured to Christmas Town, a, a James being lured to Peach World, a, a man being lured to the, lured to the interiority of his creativity or sure, whatever, right? And at it's a place that at first might be somewhere they want to be. That's their dream. They like it. And then it becomes evil or there's challenges that yeah. they, they don't anticipate or that aren't going to solve the thing. And then at the end, their, their desires to get back to 
the world in which they started. The status quo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one exception Except to this James is Davis. the flip of James where, and we talked about yeah. this a lot in the episode, the first 20 minutes of James are like the most unpleasant reality ever yes. committed to film. That is the one in which the character is correct to not want to be where he right. is. And the thing he's dreaming of is everything yeah. that he hoped it would be. And he, he has New family York and City. friends. He goes to New York City. Rocco Dunlap points at him. Everything's perfect, <laughs> right? That's the one that's flipped. But it is this thing I find fascinating, and it really clicked for me watching Nightmare Before Christmas this time, is like very often Selleck characters don't really learn their lesson. Right. They return to where they started, right. but with a sort of arrogance... Right. Jack Skellington definitely doesn't really learn his lesson. You have this this musical number that's literally right. called, like, Jack's Lament, yeah. Poor Jack, that ends with him being like, no, fuck that. I'm not going to feel bad about myself. I fucking killed this. Best I'm Christmas Jack ever. Jack the, the Pumpkin King. Like, he goes no. back twice as resolute. James, again, I mean, obviously it's based on... A novel, yeah. but like he he, he overcomes yes. his fear of yes. death and yes. like what his parents went through. But you know he confronts something and moves, and he comes back it. to yes. reality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he yeah. he's a little different. And I I will not spoil Wendell and Wild for you, but there's a sort of uh, a reality underworld thing, right? Got it. But there's also a um the the current day version of this town and the past version of the right. town thing. He's once again dealing with. There's always two realities. Yeah. There's a character who starts in one, dreams of being in the other. Right. Um, it's always macabre, kind of. Yeah, too. yeah he's, yeah, he's, he's got spooky. A thing. He's, he's a spooky boy. fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but she, but I like no, it's it's. I, I remember uh, you know because I, I took Romley, my sister, to see this. She would have been. It's 2009, so she's 11. 10 years old. Yeah, she's she, 11 at the time. She's Coraline aged. Perfect age for this. Right. Has read the book, loves the movie, and they were talking about it at school. And her teacher was like, that's not a good movie. Wait, really? And she was affected enough by this that she went movie? back and was like, my teacher was arguing that Coraline wasn't good. You like, you agree with me that Coraline's great, right? And I was like, yeah, what's his fucking argument? And she was like, he says it's like dramatically bad because she starts out being sort of a brat and she doesn't really learn her lesson. At the end of the movie, she's still a brat. And I'm like, I think that's interesting. Do you think, I don't think that's true. Though. I, think I think she, she does is learn a lesson. changed, but yeah. I think it's not in the sort of holistic, she, completely transformed way that a lot of very pat movies would no, give you. But well, she learns the lesson of like, I shouldn't take my annoying parents for granted. They're course. all right. Yeah, no, it's a very clear lesson. This, my life circumstances. But a for lot granted. of movies would it would be her hugging them, crying, being sure. a perfect little girl, this and that. Even when she like goes to YB and she's sort of like, no, you're all right by me. She's still negging him when she does that. But like the spirit, I, I like that no one changes that much in a way that's somewhat realistic within a Selleck movie. I also think there's a thing that happens, mm -hmm. and I we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, but there is a notion, especially in American entertainment, that. Uh, holds on to the like Campbell-esque hero's journey yes. as the definer of what a story is. And, and the only... Yes, and it drives me nuts. Yes, right. Um, because there's people that are like, you know, a story arc, like, you know, right. a beginning, middle, end, it's an arc, you come, and it's like, that is a type of story that is a, you know, obviously, uh, you can get into the, the, yes. the intersectionality of where that comes from and what that represents in terms of like... <laughs> That, you know, it's Greek and Roman storytelling yes. being passed down through their empire, conquer, you know, yes. all this yes. stuff. But I it's, think it's very limiting. Yes. And it's very limiting. And I think 
some of some great stories don't fit into that rubric. And Which, I think that can unsettle people when it's not like, oh, the exact same. And, and not to that the Coraline's pretty, pretty hero's journey-y. So it's not, we're not far off there. It's questy and but, she's... But, but even still, it, it, he sort of defies that always because the growth is so kind of quiet and internal as much as there are crazy externalized circumstances around the characters. Yeah. It does feel like it's it's slight changes that happen within them. Yeah, but, I mean it's it's hitting all the beats of the Campbell-esque. Sure. But the point being, I like a character sometimes that doesn't learn their lesson. Yes. Because the point of storytelling to me is not that the character has to learn the lesson; it's that the viewer, this is, the audience. But, learns well, that's fair. That's a good point. I like that. I mean, I agree with you on that. And it's fair. People don't always have to be learning lessons. Lessons no. are overrated. But this movie reminds me a lot of Spirited Away, one of my favorite movies ever. Very similar. And like, there's a lot of movies, for a lot of children's stories along these lines where the lesson is more like you, you lose your parents. Your parents are taken away for whatever reason, temporarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to, you know, struggle on your own. And then when you get them back, you have improved or you yes. have had that experience. And you're happy to see them, but you are different because you're like, well, I did make it without you. Right. And there's like, that's like very satisfying and when also, you're a kid. Also, that you kind of know the world sucks now. Like, there's something about this exact yeah, age we're talking about up. 11. You've yes, where you're, yeah. like, you're starting to become autonomous enough that you're like, why is anyone fucking telling me what to do? Why can't I do everything the way I want to? But the sort of like crushing existential dread of like teenager dumb has not hit yet. Yes, 11 year 12 year old. Have you ever has anyone ever read you probably haven't. But has anyone here ever read the book The Thief of Always by Clive Barker? Yes, yes, I have read. Yes, that. that's yes. a similar book, uh, yeah. a similar story to this. It's and and Barker and Gaiman both sort of They're similar guys. Right. Br British who like you know, making freaks. children's stories even though that's not their They'll number occasionally one. Occasionally dabble in young adult right. and you're like, "Ooh, this is yeah, spicy for edgy. young adult." Right. 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 And I love it was one of my favorite books as a child. And I've read it a million times. Mm -hmm. but it's the same thing of like the kid is tempted to another place right. that's a paradise. The paradise is a false paradise. When it's the same lesson of like, he's going home. He'll be safe. He remains yes. a kid. Yeah. It's not like he's going home and he's 35 years old. Yeah. But he did he did all this on his own and that's valuable. Yeah. And this takes place in the Hellraiser universe? Yeah. It does yes. not. But yes. it's yes, you, it does. you should yes, read it. it. It's, I mean, yes, you'll it read does. it in a, yes, in it a day. It's so fucking good. A little aside. I always think about how the one Cenobite is a kid, and it really messes me up. Yeah, that sucks. That's really I just rewatched Hellraiser. It's like when uh, a kid is raised in Scientology. You're like, you didn't even give him a chance. Yeah, sure. Because there's, there's the point. Uh, well, it, these Cenobites are always fucking. The, they're going to have kids. No, 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 can't no, no. relate to it's, this. Ben looks like flummoxed about why that Hellraiser, would be a curse right? to be a Cenobite I'm sorry, child. what? <laughs> well, then why are you looking at me confused that I'm saying one of the uh, Cenobites is a kid? Ben, no, Ben is confused by you presenting that as a negative. Yeah, I don't get it. Okay, what's so, wrong with no, that? All the Cenobites, like, at some point, revert back to like what they looked like as normal people when they like summoned the lament configuration, mm -hmm. and like one of them's like a kid, and I'm like, that's dark. Sure, it makes me uncomfortable. Ben spent yeah, his entire well, Hellraiser doesn't sucks. make me uncomfortable. Okay. most of the time. Ben spent his entire <laughs> yeah, childhood definitely a very comfortable. Movie. Just quick rooting around for lament configurations. He was trying to become a Cenobite child. Yeah, absolutely. Just vote here. If we all had the lament configuration, uh, who here would have put it together and just summoned the Cenobites willfully? Well, do do I? What do I know? You know. I know what's going to happen. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, eBay, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Like, it's, it's gone. I don't want it. But I think the idea of the lament configuration is like, if you're being handed it, the guy already knows you want to fuck with it. 
Yes, yeah. and he's not just like, oh, I found this, and you figure it out yourself. It's like it's someone who's just like, look, I've tried everything, right? And it's you. You have I this. You have the it. carnal call to yeah, it. Like yeah, you're yeah. not. It's. Yeah. I mean, ben, it, it ben would was be posted. seconds later. <laughs> I would have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the guy that 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 the whatever antique dealer would oh, sure, wouldn't yeah. even be done explaining what it is, and better be like, I finished it. He would like, be <laughs> drawing in his breath to b- blow the dust off, and I would already. Ben Ben would post wanted ads for lament configurations on Craigslist. I yeah. just rewatched Hellraiser because it's got eBay I was alert. Ben stuck the things into him and state Pinhead's with, like, calm down. Uh, yeah, right. He takes them himself. <laughs> <laughs> Give me those hooks. <laughs> um, I was upstate with David Ehrlich. Humble Brad. Um, and he'd never seen it. And I was like, all right, fuck. And then we seen Hellraiser? Yes. And I was like, one of those he things. He calls where, himself a critic. Exactly. And we put it on. And of course, to his surprise, uh-huh. you know, the Cenobites don't show up in that movie for like a full hour. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, wait, this movie is about like a lady who like cucked her husband with his filthy brother. <laughs> like, because that's mostly what Hellraiser is yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. for a while. It's, it's one like, of those yeah, franchises. Dude, it's about the, the guy, a guy so horny he had to call the Cenobite. <laughs> the, <laughs> the he's first just like, I've movie, done it all. It's one of those franchises where the first movie is so different from the cultural right, idea the, of what the franchise Parker is. Parker had no control of the sequels. And the right. sequels, they were like, so, Cenobite's wall to wall, right? Everybody also, people uh, want. Hellraiser like six is like, it's like a, uh, a cop drum. It's like they, a right. Saw movie. Anyways. Yeah. No, yeah, I like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to pause for a moment and just Something imagine Cenobite about this murder. That's what it is. There's Something a, like the from a detective. The book of Saw. Yeah. Uh, I want to imagine the image for a second of uh, the two Davids uh, mm. upstate in a little log cabin with mm-hmm. a fire going and mm-hmm. hot cocoa in their hands and a blanket. Wipe their children left back home in yeah. New York. No, no, <laughs> they were there. I mean, yeah, no, but this is the image I want. The to whole imagine. thing. I take these trips with them every year. We, we always, them we always leave peep. We always have a leaf peeping weekend, me and David and our A leaf peeping weekend? You know, you go upstate, you peep some leaves because uh, uh, oh, the leaves man. are changing. Did you create this no, term? No, no definitely. Oh, I've no, never that's heard a, that's a, that's a, a leaf peeping weekend. Yeah, I mean, I leaf peeping. Defer to you as the peeper. I've you, never you peep, heard You've peeped the leaf or two. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. I love peeping And leaves. we actually nailed the weekend. This was leaf very peeping. He's actually, good He's colors. the one who made it the United States before. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, America should have been called Peepsylvania. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I just that's an old John Stewart joke that always got me. Where the like you know Amerigo Vespucci, right? And yeah, it was like there's a reason you know it's not called Vespucci and Idol. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. Um, we watch we we watch all ritual movies, sort of by mis- we watch that movie okay. The Ritual. Yeah, yes. uh, have you seen <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, seen that's it? a ritual. I think movie. I've seen the ritual. It has a good monster in it. It's not very good. Which one's the wait? It's like a bunch of guys go hiking in Sweden, and you know, classic like. Ah, this trail's too long. Let's take a shortcut through the haunted forest. Work out well. <laughs> 2017? No, I have not seen it. Uh, it's like not that good, but it has a good monster. It has a fun monster. I love a okay. good monster. And then we watched Lair of the White Worm. Have you seen that? The Ken Russell movie? No. Great movie. I Check catch that out. Here. Very campy 80s. Ken Russell at the end of his life. You know, young Hugh Grant. Oh, Ritual is the uh, Bruckner, the Nighthouse yeah, Hellraiser. The Nighthouse guy. guy. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And right, and of course he did the Hellraiser. He did reboot. the new Hellraiser. And then yeah. so when Hellraiser came up, I was like, look, we're we're in ritual territory. This yeah. is like the most ritual movie ever. It's right. all rituals. Yeah. Rituals wall to wall. Uh anyway. I can't remember why I was talking about this. So anyways, Coraline <laughs> completes I mean, the lament configuration Coraline, and is summoned to the other it's universe. It's the same thing of like you do the thing you probably shouldn't do, right? You open the door, you go to yes. the place. You, you're summoned to the void. And you yeah. are summoned, and it is now you're in, like, uh, like uh, another world where it's, like, 
what are the rules here? Yes. yes. And to get back to where this all started, which was yeah. what Griffin was saying, was I, I, there is a thing in cinema or in life that mm-hmm. we explore through cinema, that age of like six to 11, where you start experiencing this, this desire for independence but it's not the teenage desire for right. independence where you want to fly from the nest. It's that sure, you, want you want to know party. that you can fly yes. from the yeah. nest. You just wait. You want, to, you want to push against the boundary. Maybe get your hand out right. and then be like, okay, okay, all right, all right. And I will and, say- and, I, and then you retreat into being like, I want my parents to fucking do shit for me while they still can. It, like, sure. you know, there becomes a balance of what do I want my parents to fucking handle so I don't have to deal with? Which adult, adult responsibilities do I want to avoid and which things do I want to push further away from? Yes, and once that's taken away, the, the comfort of your parents, that, yeah. that, that gets, that, it's a really scary feeling. And yeah. I think the master of this is Miyazaki, right? Like, you look Absolutely at all of his, but like, Totoro is the exact great example of that. It's this fear of being without par- your parents. I, I mean, I think Spirited Away is the... the gr- yes. Because it's scarier. Because yes. the parents literally transform. It's frightening. You don't know if they're coming back. And then, of course, her identity is under threat. Totoro is like the more younger kid yes, version Yes, it's even it, younger. It's yes. like... You know, we're being independent, and you're you the parents are still that, there, like, the but you understand sick, that they could not be there, and that's the fear it's, that you're that's that's what they're kind of like working through. I also I feel like this is a thing that gets thrown around too often and perhaps too lightly now, but this does feel like one of those few movies you could put into like American Ghibli esque films. Yes. Yeah, and and a big part of it is, you know, all the movies we've been talking about, the first two purely stop motion Selleck movies are 75 minutes long, right? Right. Mm. Most stop motion films were like Gotta 75 minutes long. It takes a while to make these things. Yeah. This movie is like 140. It's pretty much like 134 before credits. Um, mm-hmm. That extra 15 minutes, it feels like is mostly devoted to the, the term is Ma, right? Isn't Ma the term that Miyazaki uses for, like, the sort of moments of existence Mm. in between Mm. the story, the plot? Like, there's things in this movie, like, when Coraline is playing, sort of uh, occupying herself with the lump in the the rug. I wrote that down as I was watching it. Yeah. To me, that's the moment that I felt was this film operating at its best, when she's that there's this sort of bunched up part of the carpet that she keeps right. stepping on. I love I'm like, all that that's, stuff. To me, that was like, the moment that felt. Or when she of, goes to the clothing store with her mother and she's trying to get her attention. Yeah. This Things movie like has this like that, pr- robust yeah. prologue epilogue that I feel like yes. would be the thing you'd cut if you're like, fuck, we can only afford yeah. 70 minutes but of also, a movie. For a movie yeah. that's so much about the boredom of this girl, it mm-hmm. does spend time in the boredom. It does spend mm-hmm. time in that feeling it evokes so well of when you're a child and you're looking for anything to keep you entertained. How to turn anything into a game. Especially if you're lonely. You know? And, you know, animation is so difficult. I yeah. feel like this is sort of the point that Miyazaki always tries to make is that, like, most people don't want to spend the effort to depict those small moments because those small moments aren't free in the way they are in a live action film right. where you can just have an actor You're not Malik. You can't do just point a camera at a dandelion. For 10 seconds yeah. on screen, right? That you have... It takes as much craft to make this thing happen. It's so expensive. It's so time-consuming. But those moments are really important. And especially for this film and setting like a tone and a mood that is very different than most American animated films. As much as this falls into the spooky stop motion world. It is spooky. There there's a patience and like a weird quiet to this movie. Yeah. I 
I will say since I know sometimes as a blank check listener myself, I don't I haven't watched the movie sometimes. And so mm. to those who are are catching up, the the basic premise of Coraline is well, she's yeah, like a to the plot. Yeah. Let me in fact let me crack open the dossier and then crack we can talk the about dossier. the plot. All right. So we haven't talked Monkey Bone yet, full disclosure. We haven't that's the we have not recorded that episode right. yet. Um but, uh, oh, interesting. Ben but, has yet to get boned. Oh my god. I gosh. have not boned Ben. Yet. So Monkey Bone was maybe like the in- most anticipated film of my childhood. It was way up there for me as well. I was like, because I knew I was a big animation nerd mm-hmm. and I knew who Henry Selleck was. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm making a live action film. And I feel like the premise of Monkey Bone is like the first idea most kids have when they're like, they're like oh, and then you go inside and all the characters. From, like it's such a yeah. classic. And so I was like, this is going to maybe be the best movie ever made. Did you see it? I did see it. And what did you think? It's a very long movie, is what I remember as a kid. Right, but as a kid, you were not like I like that. I don't get why people didn't like. No, it. No, I, so, I struggled with it as a right. kid. I liked it a lot as a kid. I'm very curious to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in probably 20 years, but I watched it multiple times as a kid and was always a defender, even in the face of like most people shitting on it. It was equally anticipated for me, but I was at an age where I was capable of clocking a movie like that as a disappointment. Like, yeah, Burton was... Planet of the Apes is that same year, and I was like, I know this isn't working. I can't even lie to myself that much on yeah. this one. I think, I think Monkey Bone is the first time that I was like, oh, it might... It might. That, that, there is that thing when it you're. It might a kid. not be. Oh. Wait, also, when when you see movies, when you're again around ten or eleven, yeah. you start being like, hmm, I didn't like that. <laughs> right. I think because I, I used to like every movie yeah. ever, but this one wasn't so good. Yeah. Exactly. Like because I remember I like Monkey Bone. I'm sure there's stuff in it now as an adult I'd watch and really enjoy and be like, oh, that's cool. But I remember as a kid being like, oh, this isn't what I imagined it was going to be. I remember my parents would always talk about uh, Dark Crystal that way. Sure. Where like I loved yeah. Dark Crystal as a kid, and they're like, "It's so long. <laughs> it's a really long movie." And I was always like, "No, it's great," because that was what a movie was. It's to also me. not that long, really. It's like ninety minutes long. I think it probably it's just tr- moved. just felt it's, long. It's very slow. really slow. Yes. That film, a, a movie I love, and it also is like incredibly oblique plot wise. Yeah, like sure, it, right. it's one of those movies where famously Henson wanted to try to tell the story with as yes. little dialogue as possible. And Originally in a... No, no sense. But uh, to this point, uh, Monkey Bone was highly anticipated and then was for a long time in that state where it was like uh, delayed for a very long time, yeah. very extended post-production process. They moved it around the schedule like 18 times. It finally comes out. It's dumped at the beginning this of the year. This is what I was going to say. It right. bombs really It made $5 million against a $75 million budget, and that's before everything, you know, marketing It was marketing w- or one whatever. of the biggest Big flops of its yeah. year, and there was a real sort of gang up, like, but, this is a disaster. But a huge problem was that Fox's, like, animation product, which this was not, but it was still under Bill Mechanic, which, yes. who, you know was a disaster like Anastasia did well but Titan AE was a big bomb and like yeah so like it, didn't, it was developed it didn't under have, Fox Animation exactly and it by didn't the time have it any comes supporters. out Fox Animation is dead and so it sort of shifted from being a Fox Animation project to a Fox live action project where no one wanted it um so director jail for Henry Selleck yes right. you know you, you like fuck you. you 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 cost us so much money it truly felt know. like one of those things that he might never come out right. of it was such a sort of yeah. radioactive bomb um, yes. Um, Neil Gaiman, around that time, does hand him his upcoming novella, Caroline. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, Selleck is intrigued, but also is like, I saw a movie in it, but 
I felt like it needed more flesh on its bones just because the story is right. quite short. Mm-hmm. Um, he did take it to Bill Mechanic, mm-hmm. who is like, write a screenplay. Pre-agent at this point? Yeah, exactly. Okay. But like, you know, I guess just looking for a supporter. Mm-hmm. Gaiman is like, you take it from here. Like, you know, I'm okay. not going to be fussing. Like, I trust you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Yeah. Gaiman famously sort of in and out. Sometimes he's very hands-on with adaptations of his work because he's been burned. But this is around the but same time is, yeah, he's, he's like, doing Mirror Mask, which is like yeah. his Yeah, movie. that's him and Dave McKeon's big, like, visual project. Right, yeah. Um, the big thing that Selleck does, obviously, is he adds the character of YB. Yes. Um, because he was like, she needs to talk to someone. Like, which, literally. <laughs> which, because yeah. I said the book is obviously, I'm sure, all in her head. Like, internal narration or whatever. I really like Coraline. Mm-hmm. I'll say it. It's, it's a movie that I really like. My hot take is I don't think we need YB. You don't like YB? I but he's like got YB. a little mask. A little, you know, it's I, a, I like a YB, mask. But I, I get where you're coming from. Because I think it was necessary. But I do like him as a character. Because I think it would force us to have more David's of these. David's doing YB posture? Yeah. Doing being YB. He's, he's, he's got a little Igor. I think it would force us into energy. having more alone time with Coraline, which maybe would slow down the, the I think it the just movie. might be tough, literally, for kids to handle that little dialogue. I think it's true. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, and also, and it, I, I, I like YB. I'm pro YB. I'm a huge fan of just <laughs> his fucking mask, helmet, whatever well, you want to call it. It's a dirt bike. This is not surprising. Uh, yeah, I mean, his dirt bike. Yeah. Absolutely. It would be easy for a character like that, though, on a little dirt bike with a skeleton costume, to feel a little like kid movie cool. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, really, yeah. oh boy, here comes right. the kid on the skateboard or whatever. But uh, but, but he's, he's so genuinely awkward, right? Yeah. yeah. That's sort of. That's sort of sweet. Yes. Also, I, he transplants it to America. That's the other big thing he does. The book is British. Yes. I also think there's a, a little bit of literalizing of the events that goes on in the movie that the book is a little more, keeps them internalized a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think the book also, it's like she goes to the other world once and s- stuck there. Like, Selleck is the one who makes it more I, back I, and I, Which forth. I love. Yeah, me too. Because you're, like, you're I wanted upending it to the rules up. of how all of these movies work. Like, J.J. in his dossiers keeps on... She comes back. Maybe she does. Yeah. He, he just says he built it up more like he yes. wanted yeah. her to yeah. do multiple... He wanted it to feel like maybe it's a dream, right? Like, maybe it's like this is happening when she falls asleep Well, or I think I think the yeah. book is more like that. Fair enough. I think this, there's like a lot more like story context of YB being like, my grandmother's... Oh, sure. It becomes more That's literal, like, oh, this yeah. bad thing's actually happening. Which I think is not... Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear what you're bad saying. The strangest but. thing is that Bill Mechanic had a production deal with Disney mm-hmm. that he had signed that prevented him from developing animated product projects specifically. Weird. And so they had to initially pretend that they were planning on this being a live action film. Wow. Um, and Michelle Pfeiffer was considered for the other mother. I mean, would be makes perfect. Sense. Yeah. Um, yes. But that's kind of one reason it just is sort of floating in development for a long time. I wonder if that was like a a, a non-compete thing, if that's some vestige of been. his Fox It's contract. like, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. come aboard, buddy, yeah. but like we're Disney, so we're already doing animated films. Right. You can't like bring us animated films, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, there's also the the storied history of Laika's creation, of which this well, was the well, first. Well, we're going to get into it. Because that's so... But in between... Yes. 
First, the guy who comes to Selleck while he's in director jail is Wes Anderson because Wes Anderson uses yes. him for the life aquatic yes. right. to build the little stop motion animals, yeah. the whales or whatever the fuck. Which it truly feels like this is what What's Henry the beast Sel- called? What's the? The jaguar shark. Yeah. That- but all the all the uh, aquatic life yes. in Life Aquatic, all, all the yeah. fish are Henry Selleck, which I think a lot of people weirdly don't know. But it felt very much like, well, this is what his career is going to be. Yeah, he's gonna be one of these guys where you're like, oh, Jack Cardiff was like the greatest cinematographer in history, and then he made a film that got nominated for best picture. He did a couple more exploitation movies. My voice is all fucked up today. Excuse me, and then pretty much went back to being a cinematographer. Right? Like, is this a guy who was indie commercial animation director, made a couple movies, and now is just sort of for hire? doing effects on other people's movies, doing short-term projects, small, short-form projects. Right. But the other thing, of course, the sort of fork in the road thing is that because they collaborate well on Life Aquatic, yes. Salak is like, you should direct Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I'm which I'm developing. Mm-hmm. And Selleck was going to do it and backed out because uh, Coraline was yes. suddenly greenlit. They, and he was like, this it, was my original project. I'm sorry, I have to do this. They had yeah. it set up at Revolution... I also well, that's the thing. I think it also took a long time for that movie to get off the ground because Revolution was collapsing, right? And eventually, Fox had to buy it out of turnaround. But yes, for a couple years there, it was like Wes Anderson and Henry Selleck are going to direct this together, and that's his way to get out of jail is teaming up with another director. Which can we imagine? I don't. I'm so curious how that collaboration would be. They're two based on they're two guys with particular points of view. I have no idea. Yes, based on sort of like what I've heard about. Wes Anderson seems like a friendly fellow, I will say. No, maybe not. I have no idea. I've never I don't know. Like in interviews, he doesn't come across as some sort of like No, no, no. no. I think he's a friendly fellow, but they're both famously control freaks. Yes. Right. Incredibly particular, exacting artists. Exactly, uh, and and of course, Selleck says when this is his quote. Wes Anderson's still mad at me, but I said, "Look, I worked on Coraline before I ever met you, and this opportunity has come up." And he hooked him up with Mark Gustafson, yes, who is like the guy yeah. who led animation on yeah. different. So, like, but I mean, Selleck saying and Anderson's still mad at me. I think Selleck perceives a lot of enemies around him at all right. times. I don't know to what extent Wes Anderson is mad at him. I, but, I, I, know, hard I to know. hard to say. Hard to say, but that, right. It's like, that's a momentary, does this get Selleck out of jail thing that, that doesn't happen. If they fought, who do you think would win? You, oh, physically? Yeah. I think Selleck. I think Selleck is tough to beat. He's wiry. Yeah. Well, Selleck is like Slender Man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it feels like he sort of like scrambles up onto the ceiling and drops on top of you or something. They both fall into <laughs> the ca- category of directors who look like they belong in their own movies. I think Wes Anderson has like a blunderbuss. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. he's got like sort of weird antique hunting gear. Yes. That's his like, con- like if there's like a Mortal Kombat with like video game director. Have I mean, you guys. Sorry, with a film director. Fuck, Have you announced the brawler that you guys are. We should do a yeah. Super Smash Bros. with, you know, fucking directors um we should think of more of those yeah what's, uh, what's the name i don't know um let's get joe bowen so on this. selleck in 2004 is hired 
at something called Vinton Studios. Yes. So which did like claymation. Will Vinton something Studios. Something called David, v- Will David, Vinton. David. 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 Your ignorance is showing. Pull your fucking I am, pants up. I was never claiming not ignorance of Will Vinton. Will Vinton and Will Vinton Studios. Massively important. Let's, yes. He's the California the Raisins Ten guy, minutes right? talking about no, this. You five. don't understand how important five, this is. Five. I gotta say. Love this guy's vibe. First off, he looks. He looks guy, like he's about to sell okay. me salt like water one of his characters. So this, okay, okay, this is gonna. This opens up like ten things I need to talk about. You don't understand how important so, Vindant is to stop motion animation. I never, ever, ever said otherwise. You I said want to be something very, called. I'm reading. I'm cold reading a dossier. I am not saying anything else. Okay? You said Will Vinton doesn't matter, and we're here. To- <laughs> I didn't say something meaningless called. You said Vinton. he can lick your farts. <laughs> God. For a whole month of great cinema for free movie. Okay. Go ahead. Will Vinton mm-hmm. is one of the like major figures of stop motion. Yes. But who had a hard time getting these huge, never had the platform that I yes. think. It's other, expensive. Yes. It's you got to give someone to give you a lot of money and, for something that he, might not be a hit. He literally worked in clay. He was a clay yes. animator for so long. Claymation was a term used interchangeably with stop motion because most claymation we saw was most stop motion we saw rather was Ardman and Wilvin. Yes. What the about two like uh, most prominent studios Gumby. were working in clay? And our, yes, and uh, I'm yes. your, your, your kids' yes. cartoons like yes. Spunkmeyer. You know. yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, Spunkmeyer is more of the taxidermied animal, but I guess he does a lot of clay yeah, stuff as also, well. Yeah. yeah. But but they were like, yeah, plasticine guys. Yeah. And Vinton is this very interesting balance of he had a lot of success in things like commercials for higher jobs. Right, right. He's a little bit like Richard Williams, actually. He did the California Raisins. Huge. Yes. Much like the Noid, apparently. This I'm, is I'm what reading I'm some of his accounts. Much like Richard Williams doing <laughs> the like, Noid. Red, yellow, blue, green, and orange MMs, all him. I think the thing that people would maybe most pop culture recognize him for is the stop motion stuff in Moonwalker. The Moonwalker, sure. I mean, the Michael Jackson thing. His yeah, yeah, style yeah. is very distinctive. The look of his characters is very distinctive. If you Google Will Vint, you'll see a bunch of things you recognize. Yeah. But the PJs? I, yeah. The 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 Richard Williams comparison, I think, is apt because yes. there were these two guys who were considered like absolute Absolutely. top of their fields, were sort of low-level moguls, had their own studios, everyone was envious of their craft. They were always in demand for four higher gigs, especially commercial gigs and shit, or to come in and pinch hit on some studio project. Their own personal projects, their magnum opuses, were like vaguely disastrous. Sure. Yeah. Right. When they were like uh, unfettered or whatever. The, the Mark Twain movie does get credited as the first feature length stop motion film. Is that correct? The Adventures of Mark Twain, 1985 stop motion claymation film. I believe it holds that title. Sure. Um, uh, I don't know. It, yeah. it is a bananas film. Some people might remember it as like it was, I feel like, especially in the 90s, a weird deep cable constant rotation movie yeah um it's on amazon prime right now i watched it the other night it's bizarre it's like two present day kids in like a a space submarine with mark twain yes Mm -hmm. yes chasing a flying around the galaxy yeah cool but Um, so not a hit right no no yes then big flop that can transition into the like of it all. Well, because that, yeah, what yeah. happened was a, not a little pretty tragic in terms of his whole yes. trajectory. 
Um, well, so right, because like when he's brought on board, it's Vinton uh, and Phil Knight, of course, Nike founder, yes. had invested in this company. Uh, and Travis Knight, obviously, former rapper. Of course. Then decides he likes animation. Yes. What, ra- what rapper was he? Uh, did he have a rap? Do we know? He did. Look it up. This is the son of He's Phil the Knight. the son of the founder of Nike. Founder of Nike. Sure. Well, you Starts tell me a, rapper, a little bit about this the other day. Has a record deal <laughs> and then finds his true passion. What? It's worse than I... Stop motion. It's terrible. <laughs> Chili tea. Chili tea? <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> it's okay. it's really really bad. Uh, you know, look, if your dad founded Nike, you could pursue your projects and if you were 20 years old, they might be stupid projects. And I'll, mm-hmm. they. I'll mm-hmm. say this, when people hear that the director of Kubo and the Two Strings had yeah. a rap career, they're like, that seems improbable. If you watch his music videos, it absolutely feels like who you would imagine directed Kubo and the Two Strings Interesting. doing rap. He has music video. Right, right, yes. right, right. It's not like that's bizarre that that guy has the personality of a rapper. It's like, no, it's bizarre that a rapper had the personality of a stop motion animator. Now, maybe you guys can explain this to me. I'll finish this. In 2002, Knight takes over Vincent Studios and it's renamed Leica in 2005. So what happens to Mr. Vincent? Great. Is is he put in jail for selling, um, you know, the saltwater taffy and it made someone sick? He just looks like a saltwater taffy salesman. He's got a big bushy mustache. I think there's basically just a, a kind of complete financial collapse that is largely sure. tied to the rise of CGI. I don't know how much more we can dig into this, but but the company was just sort of shrinking and shrinking and shrinking with very high overhead. And, you know, we talked about in the James and the Giant Peach episode, so much of that movie was, I've spent the time to build up a crew, to build up a studio, to have sound stages. I want to keep them working, right? Right. We need another project. It's the thing with his animation studios. And he had a big studio. He had a big company, and the work was drying up. And it got worse and worse by the year. The PJs thing is kind of like, it's like, that was such a big project. That was supposed to be the thing that would give them another 10 years. is producing it, and it doesn't make it a season. Brian Grazer, Ron Howard. It did two seasons. Oh, why am I saying? Oh no, the la- oh, sorry, Gary and Mike is the one that did only which one was a UPN season. show, right, which right, I right. always liked. By the never way, never seen that, Good. never heard of it. Let me. Good, but this was the thing: they had a couple big failed projects like that, and they're not getting commercial work anymore. You I mean, know, I can see why this didn't exactly light the world yes. on fire. Uh, what about Celebrity Deathmatch? Who did that? Eric That's another Fogel. Claymation thing. I forget what the name of the animation studio was. I'm like, I don't remember. The guy's but name was Eric Fogel. What? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, this... Uh, Eric Fogel. Yeah. I want to posit- uh, preface this by saying I don't know the exact details, so I'm yeah. hearing this completely secondhand. Sure. Um, what I've heard happened with the Will Vinton of it all was that the studio was struggling, mm-hmm. and Phil Knight said that he would make an investment. Yes. His son is, at that point, yeah, working his son's at like, Vinton. But well, I love this. Part of, right. yeah. part of the investment was... My son has to yes. have a major role here. Right. right. His son was just an animator, I believe, at that point. Uh, I, I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know like the details. He, I can't. Right. He was an intern. He would know. Like, part of the investment literally was hiring him as an intern. Right. right. That's, gotcha. And okay. so, okay. And then in 2003, when Phil Knight takes over the company, Travis is suddenly on the board of directors. Well, so that flip happened pretty quickly from what I've it, heard. It's, I mean, from the timeline I can guess here is we're talking like. Five years maximum. Yeah, it was basically from it went from like, great, I'll invest in this, but can my son work here? To yeah. actually, I'm gonna, I'm in charge. I'm in charge, and, and my son is going to be the one that's creatively in yes, charge. Yes, but here's what I think is interesting. 
I think his son ends up being pretty good at this what is he, the whole, you know what I mean? Like, it's the yeah. whole distressing thing of like, it all sounds so evil. Yes. And yet, Every um, part of this should have been right, a and nightmare. like, and I've heard stories about like a like almost you hear stories about any animation studio, yes, Pixar, Disney, whatever, you know, like where you're like, oh my god, like people are worked to the bone, it's so intense, right? You know, yeah. all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like they are pretty much the only people making these kinds of movies, and it is nice to have them. Yeah, and Travis Knight has directed two Ch- films. Chili T, huh? Chili T, Chili T, Chili T has directed two films. One. A stop motion film and won yeah. a film starring Bumblebee of the right. Transformers, both of which I thought were pretty good. Yeah. Not like masterpieces. Yeah. Kubo's pretty good. Kubo's close to masterpiece. Kubo's, yeah. Kubo yeah. has its problems, but is a. So, like, it, I don't know what to do about this. Almost it's like, beyond like regular Hollywood nepotism where it's like, yes. oh, it turns out this person's actors' parents are actors. Like, oh. Uh, no, this is, yeah. It, it's the, the, the guy's dad, like, bought him a studio. I, I, I would mean, also it, say, almost <laughs> to his credit, you're like, his dad buys him a studio and then he doesn't direct a movie until they're yes. four in. The, it, it was the fourth one, right? Yeah. You yeah, know, it's, it's not. Paranorman like, right. and then he Fox let Trolls. other people right, actually. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's. It's a very bizarre story. He does that. He does Bumblebee. He's now directing the next Leica release. Is he? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And yeah. then he also just signed up to do Six Million Dollar Man. Great. What uh, a- with Mark Wahlberg. But Six he- Million Dollar Man barely gets you a cup of coffee. Oh, but boy. I think that's also one of the one of the bummers. And I, I like my joke. David's uh, point in his cup of coffee. Yeah. It's good. I oh, like it. You. Yeah. That's one of the bummers. I will say though is that Leica. Because I, I, I was an animator in college, right? Yes. And there's only so many places that you wanted to end up. Yeah. Right. Companies. Yeah. Because there's not that many animation companies no. back yeah. then. It was like, you get hired at Pixar, maybe you go to Disney. And then it was like, some people were like, ooh, what about Leica? It's a bummer that sort of like, one of the only paths to having sustainable studio for stop motion animation and to be in charge of it it's, is it's like, like a charitable yeah is a thing billionaire yeah. has to pay for and well this is what's so odd about the vinton like a situation right is i i i i had it mixed up in my mind that he was already a low-level animator rather than the internship being part of the conditions of Travis Knight investing the money into no, it or was, Phil Knight. No, it was. Yeah. No, I oh, thought oh, he was already the there. Sure, sure, sure. But, yeah, yeah. but it was that he was already into stop motion. But I believe as the story goes, it was basically that like Travis went to his dad on hands and knees and was like, stop motion is going to die as an art form right. if this company is not saved. Someone needs to do it. There is no uh, uh, American government investment into the arts. A fair point. There's you know, very little, yes. Where so many, when you watch, like, you look at the best animated short film nominees each year, and it's like, you might get one short film that's a Pixar or a Disney because they've started, you know, they've stayed the, investing in those. Right. And otherwise, you're mostly seeing foreign films that come out of countries that have, like, fucking arts grants and, right. and lotteries and funds for this sort of shit, for people to work in this medium that is not commercially viable. Um but it is this thing where it's like, Dad, you have so much fucking money. Can you find the kindness in your heart to save an art form? And then it becomes this hostile takeover that makes a little bit of sense when you're like, not to be cynical and crass about it, but you're like, Vinton's old at this point. He dies in 2018. He had not been able to turn a profit in the company for about a decade at that point. There is the argument that there needs to be fresh blood. When you go, the guy who bought it just installed his son at the top of the food chain, 
within like 18 months of him starting there as an intern. That seems like red alert, red alert. But it works. Then he finally takes over as director on the fourth movie. It's really good. Then he takes a jump to doing American live-action studio That's blockbuster. That's the thing where you're like, well, right, is that So you're like, work? was yeah. he just using this as a leapfrog kind of thing to it get to a Craven bigger career? to do a Transformers spinoff. Right. But and then, then it was like not a bad movie. And there was that moment where it's like... Well, it's not great. They ended the distribution deal with Focus. Leica signs a new deal with Annapurna. They release Missing Link. Missing Link bombs really hard. Yeah. There's no new Leica movie announced on the horizon. That's right after Bumblebee's come out. And everyone's like... Is Travis Knight bored with Leica? Is Leica going to be left in the dust? And instead, Travis Knight goes back, invests new money in it, forms new distribution deals, uh, starts doing a new film at Leica, continues to constantly, like, almost directed fucking Uncharted, yeah. is now attached to $6 million man, like, will jump in between developing live-action films and directing movies for Leica and supporting other films there. It, it does seem to basically work i know but it's so reading no, his I wikipedia think, page you just want to everything about this guy him. you want to yes <laughs> i think i don't want to strangle travis knight to be clear he's, boy capitalism is great i do the think capitalism is great oh, no no complaints there the only bummer is that travis knight's hobby wasn't like mental health advocacy and instead it was yeah. stop motion that is billionaire <laughs> whatever <dad. laughs> look it makes people happy. but it's also one of these things where it's like, like, like a, I, i'm just laughing because at myself i i agree where yeah. i'm like i'm like oh thank god someone is trying to keep stop motion alive but you're yes. also like god if like the only way to get anything done is like pull at the like tail coat of a billionaire yeah. and be like all right Please, sir. all right let's get off travis knight i, I, well, do, not I, even I just need to yeah. clarify it's not like a chili pepper. No, it's, it's like chili, like cold. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Chili. Chili. Why? Well, because the letter you know, look, snow. T-E-E, snow. Like a yeah. Snow was hot back then. Yes. You know, if you're a white rapper, snow was. Snow was oh, so hot. You know, yeah, like it's yeah, like yeah. it's. I feel like if it's your, your vanilla ice, did of you course, think, did ice you cube, ice. Like David was saying the weather phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, huh? Yes. No, it's like I think if you're a white rapper, you might want to lean into like I'm cold, icy, snowy. Right? Sure. You want to just go that direction, maybe? Yeah, I guess there's some correlation there. Coraline, Coraline, and we're back. The yeah. first thing Selick <laughs> does with this company, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you know, Moon Girl slash is Moon Girl, which right. I have seen. I a uh, little short film. It's not very good. It's, it's CG. CGI. Yes. Right. So this yes. is another thing where I'm like, the founder of Nike bought Will Vinton Studios, installed his son, lured Selleck over, and now the first thing they're releasing is a CGI short film. And I was like, right. everything's dying. This this is like why are they right. working yeah, in yeah, CG? Yeah. How is Selleck sunk to this low? How embarrassing for everyone involved? When they announce Coraline is happening as a feature in stop motion, I'm like, you're skeptical just because there's no track record here. Like, you know, why would this? Everything about it, the CGI film's shitty. It's one of these things where you're like, this is around the same time that Flushed Away comes out. Yeah, and like, why are we into doing CGI? fake stop motion? Yeah, like CGI stop motion. Yes, right. I also remember there was. Because, again, I was in college when this was all happening, and yeah. I was an animator who was like, oh, maybe my dream is to work at, like, a... I remember their whole thing with the 3D was, like, they were bu- trying to build a new system yes. that could basically use the principles of stop motion as the method for animating, you know, c- computer-generated imagery, which it felt like a sort of backwards, but that, that was their big move. And I sort of 
That then, was also the era where people were like, we're, 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 we're minutes away from computers being able to do everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, it'll be easy. But they yeah. really pioneered the use of 3D printing in stop motion, yeah, which sure. involved doing a lot of pre-animation yeah. on computers and then just physicalizing it later. So that was all context of the fact that then that leads us to Coraline, which is the first Leica release. Yes, yes. Which has a lot of attention now on it in the animation world in particular yes. because it's like, like, all right, well, let's see. Is, and it's I, like, I, is I this guess, an embarrassing hobby film? But it's also, it's, I guess the last stop motion animated feature is probably Wallace and Gromit, right? Was there anything of note in between these uh, two Wallace movies? Wallace and Gromit and That's Corpse 05. Bride. I was going to say Corpse Bride. Bride is the same year. Right? Wallace yeah, and Gromit yeah, yeah. underperforms at the box office here in the States. Is sure. obviously big was overseas. It, right. did very, very well in Europe. Yeah. Chicken Run is still the only stop motion film to pass $100 million domestic. So there was kind of this feeling of like, Aardman had the potential to be the next Pixar. It took them way too long to do a follow-up film. Wallace and Gromit wins the Oscar, sure. is beloved, was well liked, underperforms yes. at the box office, DreamWorks drops their deal. Another thing that makes it feel like stop motion is kind of dying. Tim Burton was able to bring it back. actually did well, right? Corpse Red yeah. did yes. well, got an Oscar nomination, yeah. got good reviews, but it sort of feels like maybe stop motion only gets made at a studio level if Tim Burton works it into his contract. Right, well, and right. the Corpse Red thing, which we talked about on the Corpse Red episode, I yeah. believe, was that people didn't realize it was stop motion yes. because they did so much cleanup and they did too such clean. a good job. Yeah, it looks too clean. We yeah. talked about this yeah. long but, ago. But I, I don't remember if we talked about this, but it's like the contracts for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Corpse Bride are done together at Warner Brothers. It's it's basically a one for me, one for you. And the same thing happens again with Alice in Wonderland and Frank and Weenie. It's like when Tim Burton wants to, they'll let him make a stop motion movie as payment for making a bigger studio live action film. So here's a question that I've always had about Henry Selleck and mm -hmm. Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. Their styles that they become known for are so close to each other mm. that I'm always curious in a chicken and egg sense if that's just, that's why they came together. Because I think they met in college. Yeah. Yes. If that's why they found each other. Because they're like, Probably oh, we like to make these sort of right. uh -huh. macabre, you know, but it's so interesting because when you think of, I mean, obviously the Tim Burton of it all with um, Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. people attribute that style to him. But if you see Tim Burton's own illustrations, it is that style of yes. these. He's making puppet versions of Tim Burton's illustrations, right? And, like, and yeah. this interesting thing we've talked about that every one of Selleck's films has a different primary designer. Yes. He will pick someone with a very distinct illustration style and model the entire film in their vision. We have not seen a Selleck movie that is like his personal art style, quote unquote. Because mm. the first right. one he's doing Burton, then he's doing Lane Smith. Uh, the name of the illustrator on this film, I forget, it's a Japanese illustrator. Yes, uh, I have it somewhere. But, uh, Tadahiro Yusuke. Right. And then um, Wendell and Wilde, it's the, the New Yorker guy. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm forgetting his name. We'll Charles talk about it next episode. No. Well, William Sean. No, he's the modern New David Yorker Brandon. guy who does like the little portraits for profiles and things like that. Sure, right. And a he's lot of the movie silly. review images. Right. Whatever. But um, they all tend towards this extremely yes. disproportioned, big heads. stick thin, big heads, but which yes. is. Uh, that's also easy for stop motion, right? Like, but, is but it? I, well, because a big head, you can like change. Yes, the but I'm saying faces. the proportions are not easy because it's like no. the, they 
characters cannot support I themselves. I think you think about right, being right, natural right. because the two of them yes. have made that the sort of status quo. If you look at Will Vint and you look at Artemon, they're very stubby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, right. Usually, they're, usually they're, of these big based characters that sort of waddle. Same with Gumby. Like you just kind of have these characters who are lumpy. Well, don't body shame Gumby. I mean, that's how the guy was born. I mean, look. they look healthy. <laughs> yeah, Gumby's very healthy. It's muscle mass. Um, that's yeah, that's interesting. Sure. So it's like annoying to deal with these things. Well, it's just it's you know they're, they're so sticks. it's not a natural choice. They can the legs will snap. You know what I mean? It's like but like I guess it's like you can have such sort of expressive movement. Yes. Well, that's what makes these I think limbs. that's I think that's part of what makes them stick in the zeitgeist is right. that they are yes. so expressive because they are so disproportionate and because their armature is basically like barely covered in right. plasticine or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing I feel so strongly watching this movie where anytime a new character is introduced, you're like, fuck, I can't wait to see how this person moves. moves yeah, right, right. I mean, especially in this movie with the, yes. with the neighbors and all yeah. that. Okay, a little bit more. Moon Girl he makes, right? The whole thing is that, that you know, Knight moves fucking Vinton to Oregon. Yes. This is where Lyca right. is yes. based. Right. And that's where Phil Knight, you know, Phil Knight is Mr. Oregon. Yeah. Um, they ask him to do Carl, or he has Carline. They're like, bring Carline. Yeah. We'll start work on Carline. And then they're going to back out. And I'll say, Selleck gives Travis Knight credit, calls him one of the best animators in the world, uh-huh. says that he worked on Moon Girl, and basically went to Phil Knight and was like, we cannot block this project. This must happen. Yeah. Like, so apparently, you know, Selleck says, Coraline was in trouble for being, quote unquote, too dark, you know, up at Leica, and Travis Knight was the one who got it over the line. But you also so think that's cool. Travis Knight has to know if we're building an animation. This is fucking studio, Henry Selleck. Yeah, yeah. This is the number one guy yeah. we want in our stable. Um, and it very much feels like so much of the formation of Leica is if we can get Selleck here, he can be our Lassiter. We can build this whole place around him. Um, Selleck told the LA Times in 2005 that his plan with Coraline was to do. The real world as CG and the magic world as stop motion. They were considering using CG for the animation of this film. Glad they didn't. Yes. Um, I mean, I get the idea of the two world. You know, that's fun. But still. um, Bill Mechanic thought stop motion was passe. This fucking thing in animation. I know. Where they're like, boring, beautiful stop motion or beautiful hand-drawn, passe. Why can't it be showy, you know? Um, But they didn't really like... Uh, the, how the CG looked mm-hmm. in yeah. whatever test they I mean, were doing. Moon Girl looks shitty. Yeah, it does. My, yes. my friend had a term recently. I was talking to him. He was talking about, I won't name him for the reasons I'll be clear as I tell this story. He was talking about he and his wife are in the stage where they're debating whether or not they want to have a child. And he was confessing to me over several rounds of drinks Uh one of the things that gives him trepidation about having a child is having to watch uh, children's bullshit with mm, the kid where he's mm, just like, bad, the bad shit TV. my friends who have kids, my brothers, sure. their kids have to watch. It's so fucking dispiriting. And he said, every character just looks like a shampoo bottle now. <laughs> and I, I, it's such a good descriptor of this sort of blandness of so much CGI character The design. roundedness, the yeah. boring colors. Looks like a shampoo bottle. And like Moon Girl is one of those things where you're like, this looks like shampoo bottles. But of course, what's the thing they settle on? It's like, okay, if we're not going to use CG, what can we use? 3D. 3D. Three-dimensional photography. They've done it on Nightmare. Yeah. So that's that's the... I I think we didn't really talk about 
that much in that episode. I but think we mentioned they, it. They do the 3D re-release that starts making like $10 yeah. million dollars each year. This is the beginning of Disney starting to invest in 3D. Something like Chicken Little will come out and they'll put it on like 40 3D screens. But it's starting to grow. Everyone knows that Avatar's in the pipeline. And they're working towards that, which everyone assumes is going to be the total threshold breakthrough moment. But this film comes out nine months before Avatar. It sure does. It's it's a real important film in... I am certain it is the first 3D movie I saw that was not like a movie about asteroids I saw at the Natural History Museum or whatever with like red, red, green. Right. I think it's the first movie that I wore those real 3D, real D uh, polarized glasses. 3D movies are red and blue polarized or and or, i didn't right, see an, an, like i didn't see beowulf what's it i don't fucking think. sick what's it called uh, what? anaglyph anaglyph oh yeah right. the red and blue is no, anaglyph I, yeah but right. i didn't see beowulf because beowulf is before this right yeah but all these or things is it? no 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 it, it is, is right? it is but all these things yeah, had like semi-limited releases yeah i mean yeah. i would i'm such a fiend for 3d that i would go anytime well, uh, Meet the Robinsons, I think, had a limited. I remember release, when I saw this in 3D, it was like, yeah. oh, how funny. Oh, look at these little glasses. It, this like, was a well, big deal. This was like, this is really kind of announcing this as a medium. Yeah. yeah. And we can take a little walk to the history of 3D in that we don't have to go deep. A little. Yes, we'll do a little, a little baby a little, walk. Yeah, yeah. We should stay seated, though. We'll stay seated. Yeah, okay. We're not going to, yeah. This is no, not. actually. Well, we walk around the room. So obviously, like, it was like 80s through the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. It was all of what you're talking about, David, right? Where it's like, Amusement park. Yeah, you stuff. go to the Natural yeah. History Museum. We go to Disney World. Giant whatever, headsets. Right? Yes. IMAX 3D they, documentaries they that had, are 45 right, minutes long. Everest. They yes. had non-red, uh, blue, or like... Yeah, yeah. no, it's you're Lens right. Stuff. I saw some IMAX thing about a postal delivery man in yeah. Alaska. Yeah, like headsets. Yeah, you would and, and the movies were under an hour. Right. Yeah, so yeah. there's... A, we can talk about that a little bit later when we talk about 3D. But this, after around 2003, 2004 is when... Uh, studios and theaters started going, maybe 3D is the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And the issue was that people were not shooting 3D films. Yes. They were taking films and converting them to 3D. Right. And back then the technology was... So now when they move, convert movies to 3D, they will um, create actual sort of like 3D elements that things are sort of like fake projected onto so that it has a three-dimensional depth to it. Whereas back then... basically CGI animate a movie with the same shapes as the live-action footage and then wrap the live-action footage around those shapes. Yeah, theoretically. Right. What they were doing... oversimplify, but yeah. In the early, mid-2000s is it was like... It was... Everyone referred to it as paper cutout. Right. Where it would just be like, great, this 2D plane is farther ahead than that 2D plane It looks of like a Spider-Man. pop-up book. You can just, everything is flat, but you can create when you layers take your glasses of where up, those you flat see it, it looks funny. It's I've seen double here, four crusties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. right. So it, 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 was, it wasn't very good. There was, a cu- there was a few things that were shot natively 3D, but I think Coraline was, uh, for a lot of people, the first film, yes. and I, I, we can get into it in a little bit about the technology what they did technologically that was so impressive but it was one of the first films that was shot natively 3d mm-hmm. and they did it so well with actual cameras because it's stop motion right. yeah. so many of the 3d digital 3d movies that were coming out in these experimental years were cgi films because they were easy to post convert because yeah. you're just modifying the files that already exist in the computer and there'd be a thing where like uh, Superman Returns, when it played in IMAX, yeah. there were like two sequences that were 3D oh, yeah, where they'd right. flash the symbol. They'd, they'd test the waters a little bit. Right. But this is like, in terms of a film that was actually shot with cameras, intentionally designed for 3D, this was a humongous step in yes. the modern era. Because it also had to coincide with the 
proliferation of digital cinema, right? So 3D, if you're shooting something 3D, for those of you who are, are not in the know, you basically have to have one camera for each eye because if you, right now, if you like hold your hand in front of your face, you know, as if you're doing a, a eye poke blocker and you go back and forth between your left eye and right eye, right? Your eyes are seeing different views of things. And so when you're shooting 3D, the whole thing that makes it 3D is that you're having these two views that your brain is processing into one image. You have to have two cameras that are next to each other. And theoretically, they have to be next to each other at the exact distance that the hu human eyes are typically apart. That's what creates depth. Now, with film cameras, that's really hard because you've got these big bulky cameras that require film and need to be they because they need to be super precise and they need to be completely in sync um, because you can't you know you can't have them off temporarily even a little bit because that's going to create this weird dissonance. It's twice as loud. It's harder to do camera movements. Right. All these things become incredibly complicated. Yeah. And so digital cinema means that now you're dealing with a, a digital processors, which means cameras start to get a little bit smaller, a little bit easier to deal with, and you can sync stuff up digitally. So you're not trying to have things be mechanically synced. You're, you can digitally sync them, which is a lot easier and better for 3D. But the rigs are still ginormous. Mm. And they don't exist. There is not enough flow of money or time for it to be something where people are creating really easy solutions for this stuff. So the only films that can really do this, like shoot natively in 3D, are these the avatars of the world yes. that are investing all this money into new, huge budget technology. And well, it, James Cameron literally went to Fox and went, I don't know if this movie's doable. Will you give me two years and $5 million to do some R&D? Right. And maybe I'll have a film. I don't know. Exactly. And so Coraline just has to be right place, right time yep. to make you good use of some of this technology in a really interesting way. A lot of the stuff that it, Cameron sort of field tested on the documentaries that he did in this period, um, a thing about the use of 3D in this movie. Mm. As a child, I used to always think that Wizard of Oz had to be the first use of color in film because it feels so poetic and when perfect. It comes right. in, when the thing comes into color, you're right. like, oh my God, no one had ever seen this on a screen before. You just right. want to believe that was the introduction right. of color because it right. feels like, well, this is the moment where a world opens up, even though color had existed for a decade plus at that point in films, right? right? Well, and also there's like those weird like uh, hand tinting and hand all this yeah. right. stuff. Um, I, I similarly feel JJ keeps on in all the dossiers, you know, in, in his very JJ way of his very quiet sort of editorializing that only we read, right. uh, talking about how much wizard of Oz comes up with Selleck. Yeah. Whether by his own admission or other people's, because the whole thing we're talking about of the imagining another world, another place, another dimension, you know, these sort of alternate realities, what have you. Saying to Selick, you get to use 3D now. You now have a tool that is kind of equivalent to being able to open the door into the world of color in Wizard of Oz. It's one of the reasons that I argue this is the best application of 3D because it's so tied to the narrative, mm. obviously. And Avatar also has this thing, obviously, where it's a guy entering a different world. Yeah, right. But, um, and Avatar is so experiential and like in incredibly well executed. But so much of the technique that Selleck uses here to make the 3D thematic, to truly use depth as a very deliberate pointed storytelling tool, 
rather than just like uh, immersion. Yeah. Or have stuff jump out at you. Um, it, it's kind of insane that he nailed it this hard when so much of what he was doing was basically uncharted territory and figuring it out as they went along. Yeah. And so that sort of leads to my feeling, which is I think this is, in my experience of watching movies, the best, most um, fulfilling as an audience member use of stereoscopic film that I, I have seen. Ben, like, I know you watch this for the first time. Right, you're not seeing it in 3D. You did, sure. So you didn't see it in 3D? No. Um, I, we should talk at some point about how this was also tied in with the 3D television craze, which was a whole yes. interesting yes. universe. But yes. we can no, we're not leave that for later. No, we're going to talk about that. Okay. We're going to talk about that. We don't have to talk about it. No. We're okay, talk about but, it. Don't worry about it. We'll get it back. Okay. What's our running time right now? An hour 20. Yeah, exactly. We're recording Got two it. episodes. Yeah. Today. This, this is, is part first. one of the Carlin episode. Uh -huh. yeah. um, it might be three episodes. An element that you didn't get to see, which actually makes this film a good film that I like to a film that I think is incredible and a film that like I, I hold in this very high esteem is what they do with stereoscopic imaging. So we talked, obviously we've talked here about like Billy Lynn and everything that's happened there and how Ang Lee is yeah. one of the people that really thinks about this in a creative sense as part of the medium. I would say that there's a lot, uh, James Cameron does too, mm -hmm. but I would say there's a lot of filmmakers that, 3D to the studio was just an added thing to add to tickets. It's sales. just it's just an extra yeah. five bucks. They it's can a gimmick. Charge you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they they shoot their film exactly how they'd normally shoot their film. Um, don't do anything to really. Maybe they'll have one or two little things that play with. Oh, something's like you know passes in front of the screen yeah, or whatever. Even people who do it skillfully, immersion is usually the beginning and the end of the thinking, right? Like yeah. Scorsese will have a couple moments that are very clearly explicitly designed for 3D. Yeah. He's certainly conscious of it in the framing of every shot in something like Hugo, but it's also like not tied to story in the same sense. Right. I do remember Hugo using it quite nicely. Hugo uses yes. it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but Dark of the Moon uses it well. You know, there are other... Dark of the Moon uses it really right. well. Right. Yeah. But I will say this, not only from a story perspective, but again, stop motion ends up being the one place where you can actually explore everything that stereoscopic has to yes. offer. Yes. So something that I think is fascinating, and that's why I was sort of talking about the camera side of things, which I, I won't go too much deeper into it, but in the past for stop motion, um, obviously they would use film cameras in the past, which was its own complicated thing. You know, you take, you take a frame, move your puppets, take a frame. It's this long, arduous process. Literally don't know if it's working or not until you get the footage back developed from the lab. Yeah, well, you'd, they'd have things called lunch boxes or things like that that yeah. would allow you to see previews of it. But it was hard. Digital cinema comes along and makes it a lot easier because you can see your frames as they're happening. Yeah. Corpse Bride, for example, is shot on like a Canon 1D, like a, a consumer a consumer grade camera. Yeah. Like that people probably have, and they had to create all this technology to try to get it to work and operate. But it was a little clunky. So in Coraline, what they ended up doing is they used a machine imaging camera. The type of camera that you would use like in like a factory setting, what that allowed them to do was program the camera super specifically. So the reason I was talking about these, this two-camera thing is that when you're shooting live-action elements with two cameras to get stereoscopic, you have one of the biggest early hurdles is um, cameras have lenses, which is the glass stuff that makes the light look cool. You know, the, yeah, the we know from lenses. Uh, great. Sure. We know what We've lenses are. We've discussed them with <laughs> right. you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. So stereoscopic if those lenses don't match 
it cranking <laughs> over a head cold and honk there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> holding that one in that for was, like 15 minutes. Honk for a serious guy. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, if you're in a car right now, give a quick honk to serious <laughs> guy. Um, so, one of the That's big a new issues. blanket thing, Kit. <laughs> yeah, if you're in a car and you're this episode, give a quick brr, brr, for we stereoscopic. Make honk if you love stereoscopic <laughs> bumper stickers. Actually, because I do feel like people don't under or whatever. Okay, no, so you have people. a camera for some, each some eye. Some listeners right? may not understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, lenses, I think we think of as these finite objects that are just like, you know, always perfect. Lenses are really imperfect things because it's glass elements, right? So lenses have a lot of these issues that can come about them that are unique to those lenses that you have to test in films usually to see if your lenses match just generally between shots, let alone stereoscopic. There's things like chromatic aberration where that's when your different color wavelengths don't focus at the same place. So that's when you get like this sort of edge coloring on weird lighted objects. You have um, like spherical distortion and uh, aberration, which is like all these little things that make lenses unique, which is why also cinematographers will search out for lenses that have the perfect balance of all of these things. And it's not something you can really plan for. You just have to, each lens is gonna have its own quality. But when you're shooting stereoscopic, right? Each of those lenses represents one of your eyes. So if any of those lenses are different, it creates these weird effects that don't quite line up exactly. And that's when stuff starts, because uh, again, imagine if your eyes were seeing images that were even more different than they already are. You'd start to get a little, it'd take you a minute to adjust. But we already have that with our eyes. Now add lenses to the mix. If the lenses of a 3D film are different, it's starting to create this weird thing. And uh, Ang Lee talked about it so much and Billy Lynn we talked about is they had to search far and wide for lenses that were as close as humanly possible because any differences between the lenses would cause all these huge images. Well, Stop motion. Talk about 3D giving them headaches. It's because of not exclusively, but so often these sort of uh, discrepancies will cause your brain to have to work overtime. Right. Well, also think of this: if the cameras are off timing at all, that means the two images being processed in each eye when you're watching it are slightly different. Yeah. And that's the stuff that creates these headaches and that makes you feel sick. Is you're like, oh, this is like the images aren't exactly the same. Something's messed up, and you can't sense it. You just feel sick. Right. With stop motion, your subject isn't moving, right? Obviously, it's, you're taking still photos of it. You don't need two cameras. So what they did is they took one camera, oh, would take sounds, a photo. This already sounds stressful. This rule. Move it over. And then right. move it over yeah. Yeah. And, then and take another take photo. photo. Yeah. Now, what's even more interesting about this is that normally when you are doing stereoscopic, you have to get those lenses really close to be the distance between human eyes. You know what I mean? And a lot of times what you end up doing is you use these, um, these mirror deflection plates that, uh, that basically use mirrors to shoot the, the images into the two different eyes so they can be much closer. Uh, now you're dealing with another element of glass, which is mirrors, which is going to take down some of your brightness. It's, it's, it creates yeah, all these issues. Sure, sure. They're not having to do that. They're able to create that distance with the camera. And beyond that, a thing that they do that I think is fascinating that makes this absolutely brilliant Instead of having the cameras, the distance of human eyes, they have their cameras separated by the distance of the puppet eyes. So that your three-dimensional perspective in the sets is not that from a normal-sized person looking at these miniatures, but from the three-dimensional perspective of someone who is of that size. I have a couple notes for you. Yeah. Notes or questions? Notes. One, 
Um, you said the puppets don't move. They do, and everyone leaves and goes home and turns out the lights. The puppets come to life and they move around. Just FYI. They have Did you parties. see the after Correction credits noted. thing and when to watch? Wait until that. you see this. Um, uh, that's all very interesting, but uh, James Cameron went to Pandora and filmed a whole movie there. That was pretty difficult. He had to wear a gas mask and all that. Yes. So give him some credit. And work visas were a fucking nightmare on that movie. Horrible. Yeah. You gotta deal with, you know... Fuck, I don't even know what the company's called in Avatar, whatever they are. Yeah. Anyway, but no, the no, Navi workers unionized eventually, which I thought was really it was good. good. No, it was it like was support good. them, obviously. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I just, I, I think they should be, you know, given, I don't even know what Navi currency is. You know, yeah. they should be given the, the, as many bucks. bows and arrows as they like. Yeah, yeah, AWA bucks. Great. Yeah, I'm sure they yeah. love that. Um, no. And every four hours they have to stop to put their head. Right, they got to recharge yeah, into I don't a, know how whatever <laughs> union mandated ponytail break. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. No, that's very interesting. So, are puppet eyes further apart on their heads, or is it that they're much well, closer together on the because of the they're tiny? They're tiny, so they're much closer. So the right. difference between yeah. the two, to yeah. the the left and right movement of the camera, right. and that's also why they're using. What's so funny is like when you, if you are a film nerd and you're looking up movies you sort of like like to look up like what cameras they're using and what lens system and like oh is this did, did they use zeiss or ingenue or this or that or are they this is a panavision movie for this the camera they used was the mega plus ec eleven thousand color ccd machine vision <laughs> camera yeah, yeah 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 i've got one of those <laughs> like this so. is like essentially like a ford factory line camera yes but it's like it's, at a at a car manufacturing yeah it's like probably yeah. it's probably used to like i don't know like make like microchips or sure, something sure sure but they ha they could program it super intricately, and obviously the movement of the camera is being done robotically. Yeah, yeah So sure. they can have it be tiny. Oh, it's not just some guy who's like, I don't know what is this two inches? But that's how they would do it Back before. Hey, I'm yeah. sure, right? Like yeah, you know. Corpse Bride, they shot it on a one D. Like that's a thing you have to like. You know, it's like your some your dad has a one D to shoot yeah. pigeons in the in the park. It's like, it's like a sub iPhone camera. Now. Yeah, it's like yeah. so. I I th just think it's fascinating, and then. The thing that, Ben, I'm curious if you picked up on watching it for the first time, 2D, is that they do something fascinating that, again, you cannot do in any other thing except for stop motion. This is the argument. Which I think is just, like, this beautiful. This is not an argument. I'm it not interested an in an argument. Finn, go on. No, David's on our, David knows yeah, this I'm movie's not, I beautiful. I love this movie to death. Then you're right. It's not an argument because we've won. <laughs> Finish your point, Griffin please. just wants you to take back that you call this dumb animation nerds, like, Eight years ago, Fred, I think. You are dumb animation nerds. Nothing about this episode supports that idea. What are you talking? We're not dumb. Have you not heard of Bill Vincent? <laughs> then you look up a man who looks like a Mario villain. <laughs> Smart special animation boys. Also, just he to be clear. He created the California races. God damn it. Just <laughs> <laughs> some respect. <laughs> also, to be crystal to be like clear, I have a lot Wario's of respect for the Mario. Will Vin does not look like a Mario villain. He looks exactly like Sonic's villain. He, he looks, looks like he looks more like Eggman. He looks like a Coney Island strongman. I, I respect <laughs> the guy. Like I like that that was what that guy looked like. You know, it's good. It's just funny when you guys are like, haven't you heard of this guy? And I Google anyway. I like mm -hmm. uh, David's over at Will Vinton Studios trying to get him to tear a phone book open. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Like, come on, take this mallet. Let's see who can ring a higher bell. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay, boy. so. Ben, question for Ben. Yes. Sorry, no, you were doing. I was doing the buildup. Yes, yes. So, Ben, I don't know if you noticed this, but what they did in Coraline 
because they were Henry Selick, creators the, and all the people were, were like, we want to create this dissonance between the real world and the other world. Right. There's got to be a shift. We right? want the other world to feel magnificent to Coraline when she first arrives. And you got this redefined medium now at your disposal. So I noticed it only because I know, but you might not have even not noticed it watching it in 2D, is that all of the sets in the real world are tilted at an angle, like the floor and the walls, so that they can be flatter, so that there's very little depth to them. Okay. So that like the room is actually, instead of being long is really short and it's a perspective trick so that like they're animating these characters not on a flat ground but on a angled ground to make it all collapse in it's basically like all the live action sets in james and the giant peach they're using forced perspective to essentially make sets that are closer to cut out pop-up books yeah mm-hmm. and doing tricks with the physical animation of the characters to make it look like they're existing in a normally proportioned room but the effect is they're shooting a space that is close to flat so that the, the, there's not as much depth and that everything feels more tight so that when she goes to the other world suddenly they do the opposite that fucking moment in a theater if you can imagine when she opens the door and the tunnel it extends all the way yeah. out oh my gosh it it truly feels like you are looking into an infinite void i remember i saw this movie like three times in theaters yeah because it was just like well who knows if i'm ever gonna be able to watch 3d again in any other form you know and every time that first unfolding is just gas from the audience where you're like holy shit this is possible and it's i think it's interesting that rewatching it and I, I rewatched it flat, I will say, yeah. for this episode because I want to be also to be able to judge yeah. it on, uh, on, sure, sure. on merits, yeah. knowing how most people will end up rewatching this. In the first 15 minutes of the movie, he does a lot of shit coming out at the screen at you tricks. Yes. Yeah. He gets those out of the system. He understands that there's going to be a novelty factor that everyone enjoys. Right. People Basically, have glasses on. They want to understand the why. The first image of the movie is the needle poking through the button, right? Yeah. And that shit pokes all the way fucking out. It's like yeah. theme park movie, like, holy shit, this is attacking me. The introduction of YB is him riding the bike right into and frame. And then isn't it like workers carrying a rug or something? All of yeah. this shit. He's doing all of that. And then, like, minute 15, the tunnel unfurls, and he's like, no, this is about depth. It's not about me throwing things out at you. And it's about pulling you deeper and deeper in. I remember both with this and, the and whole Avatar. language changes the two, of the movie. Like, that, right, like, I thought, because it was, there was that My Bloody Valentine yes. movie. Right? There were a few horror movies that had done the kind of like a pickaxe flies at your face yeah. thing. And it was this in Avatar where I was like, oh, I see. It's like that the world has texture. I've never yes. seen yes. that deployed. That makes so much more sense. Or that that seems like a, a less gimmicky and, use and of the technology. the sets when you go into the other world are so fucking deep. It's and the exact opposite. It's so cool with a stop motion that yeah. the sets are sets. Are, they're sets. These yeah. are things. Right. You yeah. Know? yeah. But it's the exact opposite of what JD was talking about with the opening sets where the sets are then humongous. Yeah. When he's shooting this stereoscopically, you're see, feeling the empty space around them. You know? So it, the shift, and I still think it works visually watching the film flat. Yeah. He uses, obviously, the color palettes and the contrast between the two worlds. That still works flat. Um, but but even, I think, um, visually, you do sense how much more claustrophobic the rooms feel in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
and obviously he desaturates the color a little yeah. bit. You yeah, know, he does other stuff too to make Coraline it Coraline is lame. basically the only character in her world at the beginning who has color. Everyone right. else She's is desaturated, is muted, is earthy. She's got a bright yellow raincoat and bright blue hair, and then she goes into a world where suddenly everything has as much color as she does, but also... She can finally fucking breathe, you know. Mm-hmm. I really didn't pick up on it though. Yeah, um, and that's that. I think that's what's so str- is that when it's two D, you don't know. Uh, would you say though, with the two D version, there is this sort of noticeable visual quality that's just slightly off, and I I'm, I can't really yes. encapsulate what I'm seeing. Mm. The best I could explain it is it feels almost like the movie is choppy or buffering okay, kind of so yes does that make yeah, sense yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. okay are you so watching I, it on your yeah. phone without wi-fi as well is that a problem i was outside of the mcdonald's <laughs> right and just kind of so one of the things that i will i i won't get, say more than this is uh-huh. that i've i know uh, a, a group of uh, i'll say a handful of people that worked on Coraline or jason to Coraline. Uh-huh. And so they have been a little bit of my resource, mm-hmm. especially for this episode of trying to sort of reach out and be like, hey, what was this? So one of the things last night as I was watching that I was texting about was I was like noticing that exact thing where I was like, so in animation, there's you can animate on what's called ones, twos, threes, fours, yes, that's we've, every we've frame. talked yeah. about yes, this. Got, right. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So stop motion, you're always going to animate on ones right. just because like you're doing all this work just animate on ones yeah it's uh, uh hand-drawn animation ends up doing more like twos and stuff like that because it's more work to do a frame versus in stop motion it's you're like i'm here anyways i'll just do the extra movement for whatever hand-drawn you're gonna have to redraw the entire yeah, thing versus stop thing, motion you're yeah. making one adjustment exactly yeah. yeah but there's moments in Coraline where i was like oh it looks like that's on like twos or threes like what's going on there yeah so there's some things that are purposely chosen for that so like all the ghosts are animated in like fours yes like as and they're CG choice. creations in some, some. Okay, Dossier disagrees with you, but okay. They're go on. Go I on. believe that they are uh, computer uh, computer composited, mm. but I don't believe that they are CG unless I have. I, a, I apparently, so there is one fully CG sequence, which is the ghost children coming into her dream to warm her. Oh, interesting. He says the backgrounds there are pure CG. Because Paranorman yeah. has a CGI ghosts, and it's a lot more apparent. Like, they choose to make almost all of the ghosts in that CG, and you can tell that it's CG approximating, whereas here it does feel they, like CGI effects applied to actual They do some CG cleanup, too. Yes, like yeah, so yes. in Coraline, like what they yeah. did is they did a lot of um, computer compositing of... Mm as many live action elements as possible. Maybe that is one CG mm-hmm. sequence, but... That's the only fully got CG. It. The rule of thumb for Selleck on this, from what I've gleaned, was everything has to have at least some sort of piece of live action. Not live action, but like real, sure. actual... Something has to be happening in front of a lens. Something has to be photographed at right. some point. Yeah. Um, and so what you're noticing there, Ben, I was like, I was like, why is that happening at time to time? I was texting with some a person that was like what was and what i think is going on is that's artifacts from digital time remapping that they would do interesting so basically when you are doing stop motion in a show a movie like this right they have like every shot being animated like some somewhat simultaneously just because it takes so much time so they'll have like 30 stages going at once where a bunch of stuff is happening 
And so you can't really go back and do retakes if you get into post somewhere and you're like, I don't really like that. But what you can do is you can digitally remove frames or lengthen frames or blend frames together to tweak the timing if there's something that's a little off. So there's a handful of times where I noticed that in shots, and I think that was because they did some digital time remapping for the animation. But I noticed that you're talking about, where there's moments where you're like, oh, there's it looks choppy, but it created this interesting. They did it in a way where it does feel very tactile, though. Now, can I throw out a couple other points yeah. while we're in this area? Um, you know, with stop motion, you're either doing face replacement or you're creating a, a puppet with an animated face, right? Or, or a manipulable face, right? So, for example, like in Nightmare, Jack Skellington is all head replacement, right? He has these extreme expressions. You can see the behind-the-scenes photos where they just have, like, a shelf of a thousand Jack Skellington facial expressions, but also every in-between mouth shape for any type of word he would need to say and all of that, which used to just have to be crafted by hand with people sort of figuring out these are the transitional stages we'd need and all of that. A character in Nightmare like uh, Dr. Finkelstein or Oogie Boogie have these wide mouths with bigger lips, and those are puppets where they're actually just animating the lips movement uh, with one set model rather than pulling off a head, replacing it with a new head, new head, new head, new head, new head. A big thing that Leica pioneered was using 3D printing yes. so that they could animate. And this is particularly helpful with lip sync if you're doing dialogue and things have to be incredibly precise in their timing that you can record the audio with the actors, then you can animate just the facial expressions on a computer and then it can print out sequentially the individual framed faces. So it gives them a lot more flexibility in that area. Um, I think also the puppet, you could pull pieces correct. of the face off and so they, change they, it. They did, a top and, they did top and bottom. Right. So, so it's a little could, less intense. It's, it, there's a slit that essentially runs across the eyes. Yeah. And it's two pieces that they can pull off and replace and combine in different ways. And this movie, by and large, with exception of, I, I know it's one or two, Babinski maybe feels like they kept them in. They'll digitally remove the seam lines. Now, because we just saw Wendell and Wilde two days ago, and then I was digging into interviews with Selick, in that movie, they keep the seam line on the face. Yeah. Right? And that's Which I his, think it's the move. And he said it's because he feels like so many of the things that Leica pioneered in this film that they've now pushed further in their following films and have been adopted by the medium at large and the industries at large have made stop motion too smooth, too mm -hmm. clean. Right. It almost looks like computer generated. Too much digital yeah. touch up, too much exacting sort of polish that he was like, on Wendell and Wilde, I'm going to keep all the seams on their faces for every character. And Wendell and Wilde was animated on twos. Mm, interesting. He was like, I want it to be herky jerkier. I wonder to some degree, and I, I believe everything you're saying, GD, yeah. but I also wonder to some degree, A, how much some of the herky-jerkiness comes out of growing pains of the 3D face printing, and which 3D printing itself is in a much different state at that point in time than we are right now in precision, and B, how much Selick wants to continue to own some of the things that remind you that the thing is made by hands. You know, he seems adverse yes. to cleaning up things too much. Well, they, it makes sense. Which I love, because it, it makes yeah. you think about the fact that this was built. Well, that's why I think, honestly, in a lot of these movies, those final post-credits moments are like the most breathtaking moments yes. of all of the movies. 
where you they are you know they every stop motion movie now like at the end you'll see a moment where it includes the animators or the rigs they or love something. to right, they pull back that, the curtain this, or like that uh uh like the box trolls has it where it's like yeah. an all day photo where you see time lapse yeah. yeah. time lapse yeah. there you go the yeah yeah my takeaway from watching this visually I'm like how do people do this yeah it's incredible it looks so beautiful yeah like especially um the uh the outside the surroundings around the house oh my god the miniatures that they built Look, how I'm glad detailed. they did this for me yeah this is how it I makes me feel. happy yes but I if I don't I don't know it seems like a lot of it's sort of like oh you shouldn't have like someone makes you a nice meal and you're well, like this like, is too much trouble for me one of the details I love there's so the the special edition DVD has uh, all these special features that are making of and mm-hmm. has it's they're worth watching since it blows your mind the work they went into it one of the things I love is all of their fog effects. Um, fog and fire is in like fog, fire, water, wind, the, steam, the natural elements, water. Yeah. That's usually stuff that people will be like, we're just going to use CG for this. Sure. Like, right. It's why, just going to be bother? easier. Right. What they did in Coraline is they actually um, handmade all of their fog assets using actual like smoke machines. So they would shoot That's on cool. black fabric all these smoke effects to be like, oh, YB moves backwards. So, all right, we'll blow some smoke back there. And then they composited those all in together. It was really, really beautiful. Fire, they hand drew all of the fire and then composited but that. But it almost seems like they were like, we did all that and maybe we've realized like you can, it might be worth saving the time on yeah, some things. Yeah, right? but, but in a certain way that makes this movie like a, a real key transition point in the medium. Yeah. Um, here's another insane uh, little factoid. Um, they hire a woman specifically to make all the like yes. sweaters and knitwear. Yes. Which are truly knit. They're not like fabric sweaters approximating knitting as a no. pattern. They are actually knit by hand. And the 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 fact is that the knitting needle she had to use to knit the tiny sweaters were the size of human hairs. Okay, so that's very small. That Just think about the, yeah. I don't want to so do that. Fine detail you're fucking working in there. Not her, but the lead wardrobe from Deborah Cook was really yeah. amazing too because they built all of these wardrobes for all of these like these it's ten inch It's absolutely incredible because everyone yes. has multiple clothing chains. Which often doesn't happen. Most stop motion films you watch, characters have one look that persists throughout the entire film. Maybe Jack Skellington has two looks, three looks. And there's there's woman Suzanne Moulton that they hired that did all the hair effects. This is one of the first stop motion films ever where every individual hair was animatable. Mm. So they would they would lay down every single hair and then pair it with wire as well. So that that's why if you watch the shots where like Coraline like moves her head and her hair like moves with her, that's so much work. This is what I'm saying. I'm glad they did it for me. I like it. I like, appreciate it. You seem to be getting stressed it's out. It's stressful. <laughs> I don't know if you should have done this so much work for me. Well, we know they did it for David because they have a title up front. For okay. you, David. David Sims. Well, they alone. have the title. Actually, they have the title at the end. That oh, I took it's a like picture the ET ride every, every movie. They have, yes. the ti- they have the title at the end that's, uh, that lets us know it's for David. Wait, 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 yeah, that's a little says, joke for the Coraline heads. It says, "For those in the know, jerkwad." <laughs> that's, good. that's good. There you go. You roasted me. I, I remember someone. I think it was on. I can't. What, what's the movie where it was like clockwork? I think it's Corpse Bride. Uh-huh. It was a kind of clockwork. Oh yes, stuff it, inside. It's the, mechanics inside the. And head. I remember one reading yeah. some interview with an animator where he was like, "I would like have nightmares that I was clockwork yeah. and of like people's yeah. heads opening." And I was just like, "I don't know if we should be doing this to people." 
Yeah, yes. also that, I mean, that technique was bad. <laughs> right, that was maybe, whatever. Yeah. This is the thing, you make so few of these things, it's trial and error on every one of them, practically. Yes. Right. Yeah. You're right. having to invent entire new ways to do stuff. Right, I, like, this movie is responding to that movie in which all the characters kind of look Botoxed. Yeah. And you can see Selleck being yeah. like, let's bring faces back in. I just can't help but think about sneezing when oh. I see this stuff. Oh, you mean like you just knock Caroline over? It must be so stressful. You can't, like, a cold season? Well, so you can't report for work. That's part of why they will have oftentimes individual animators working alone. So, like, it's not like a team. It's like one person doing a sequence because they're just like... Mm. That seems stressful too, like, though, right? least... Yeah, room for error. No one's bumping it. It's like it's just like one person, and then if you sneeze, you're just like laying on the ground. Like uh, they're in the behind the scenes featurette, they're like, like it's like uh, two animators working on one sequence, with two different characters, and they're like, yeah, so our sequence is uh, seven seconds, and they're like, it'll take us probably like four and a half weeks to animate it, and you're just like, and then they show the clip, and it's like just like someone being like, here, take some, and you're like. Not even. It's probably the first half yeah, of here. Exactly. Yeah. It's wild. Lordy. Also, imagine trying to animate to the music. Music's so lovely in this uh, film. But imagine stop motion animating oh. to lip sync of music and... And Selleck makes everything more complicated oh. for himself. He wants as much movement and frame. He wants camera movements. Yes. He wants all these things. He... It's incredible. Okay, so right, we got to get into yeah, it. We got to talk Bobinski. We got to talk, right, talk, talk about the opening of this film. Let's talk about the opening of this film. 2007 when Beowulf comes out. Wait a second. This doesn't have anything to do with it. Okay. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. I like how it's like, great. Let's talk about Coraline. Okay. So Beowulf. So Beowulf. 2007. Beowulf comes out November 2007. This movie comes out February 2009. Correct. So it's about 18 months later, a little mm -hmm. under. Uh, they played the, a trailer for Coraline before Beowulf because they needed to announce, like, call right. their shot. There are more 3D movies coming. And the trailer before Beowulf, as I remember, was just this opening credit sequence, basically, with some different intertitles. That's all it was, because that was probably all they had probably animated right. at the that point in do. time. Yeah. Um, and that feeling when it just said, like, and now a sneak preview of a movie coming 2009, and then the first image you see is the needle going through the button. Right. It was the most exciting, like, statement and promise for the future. And plus, it's like for nerds like us, it's like Selleck's out of jail, baby. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, yes. and like, we're not as plugged into all these projects that are happening. I don't think I knew about this movie. No. I, I think about, I, I was following it closely. Yeah, yeah. I think about uh, Ehrlich in our Crouching Tiger, Hidden was Dragon episode. Busy getting laid. Ehrlich was busy getting laid? Probably. Good for him. Oh, okay. I don't know. You were saying you were busy yeah, getting laid? Yeah, I don't know. It was college, right? I was getting laid. Maybe. Yeah, I had sex like two <laughs> times at this point. Ehrlich, uh, 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 which episode? episode? Tiger, Hidden mm -hmm. Dragon talks about like the first title of that movie with the opening strings of the score and being like, has any movie ever proclaimed itself a masterpiece faster? <sighs> I'm just do doing it. Do I you think remember, Coraline you know is about? in yeah. that yeah. conversation with just like the look of the first opening like Leica presents in this sort of like stitch tapestry and the score for this movie is so goddamn good. It is. It's a, lovely. Like a chorus of French gibberish children Bruno speaking nonsense. Coulet is yes. the composer. And famously, the girl who does the singing girl voice, her name in real life was Coraline. Coraline. That's wild because considering I've never met anyone with that name. Yeah. Um, I will also the my my okay, I know we just said we're gonna start talking about this. We're talking about this the opening sequence, such good mood setting. Yes. For me, I've watched Coraline because I went to NYU mm -hmm. and NYU often has these like 
Well, it, um, Coraline is their mascot. They're yes. the fighting Coraline. Yeah, we're the fighting Coralines. You know, we all have buttons for eyes is what we chant from the, the right. when we're rooting yeah. on our football boys. Right. Um, so they always have these like screenings where it'd be like these director screenings. There's yeah. Some, oh, man. I want, there's some very funny stories about disaster screenings of people who brought their films to NYU and it's a bunch of pretentious film kids that are like, uh, actually... Ripping them to shreds. Yeah. Yeah. So this was one of the first ones. I never, I always feel like I'm not allowed to go to things, so I never go to things. This was the first one that I was like, I'm going to this. Yeah. I gotta see this. Henry Selleck was screening Coraline, not for NYU, but at Regal Union Square, but NYU... Sure. Letting people go to it. Yeah. So it was not out. It was way before it came out. Yeah. So there, and there was like maybe only a trailer. So me and all the other animation nerds were like, we have to go to this. Henry Selleck was there. He was introing it. And so we're all sitting at Union Square. Those glasses go on. And again, no one has seen this yet. So when it starts, and it's a room with a lot of animation dorks in it, just the, the, the energy in the room is electric because people are like, holy shit. Not only is this incredible stop motion that we have not seen right. of this caliber with mm-hmm. that sort of Henry Selleck quality for a while, but also the stereoscopic nature of it. And also just like, this is going to be cool because it starts with every, yes. all the, all the titles are hand stitched to start. And then he's forefronting the handmade quality. Like this opening sequence is calling your attention to the craft of the way this film was made by showing a tiny model, creating something with that level of craft and detail at a tiny scale for them. That's what I was going to say. It is a it is a thematically sh- It is Babe Ruth yes. calling their shot in that first thing. Yeah. It is a, think about this. It is a stop motion model making a stop, a, ti- a tiny a, a stop motion puppet. character, yes. making a tinier as detailed stop motion character. It's like work starting two levels down the, the rabbit hole and mm. being like, our the stop motion character our stop motion character is making is good. Like the <laughs> adage of a movie teaches you how to watch it mm-hmm. that is especially true for, for good and great films. Um, th- this sequence is doing that so effectively. A, it is training your ba- brain to pay attention to the craft of how this film of is like made. Of like knitting and sewing and right. stitching being like, hey, we fucking made all this we stuff, made all you idiots. This. You need to appreciate this. But it it's is also weird like says idiots so. though. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that. yeah. He keeps showing up. It. The animation stops, and Henry Sog walks on screen. Is like idiots. Listen, fucking morons. JD's I, doing Henry Selleck posture. That's a thing that I wanted to talk about at some point. Is that um, so? After that screening, yeah, I went up and shook Henry Selleck's hand. Sure, and was like, you know, I, it's so nice to be. And he was like, "Why, thank you very much." And it was the first time that I realized that he walked. He and is moves a Henry Selleck like character. a character. Yes. Yeah, and yes. then. From that point forward, I've had this theory that, you know, animate, not theory, it's just obvious, animators' characters all move like the animator because they came up looking in a mirror at their own movement to yeah. try to figure yeah. out how to animate. So, like, my favorite, like, is, like, if you look at, an, at a Nick Park interview, he, like, has the same smile as Wallace. and He, he does the hand. Thing. He does yeah. the hand. He'll, he'll be like, I was so excited. And he'll bring the hand. It's like, and so every animator, right if you watch an interview with them, you will see their character. Yes like come to life within them and it's absolutely hilarious and wonderful and uh like when will vinton is um you know kidnapping uh a damsel <laughs> right right and Time lifting him over back. his head with one hand yes. it looks yeah. exactly like uh, a california raisin 
Another thing this movie has to do in terms of teaching you how to watch it in this opening sequence is like get you used to 3D, knowing yes. that this is going to be like the first exposure for a lot of audiences. And so he's doing more of the in-your-face kind of tricks yes. in this close-up photography. But I mean, David, we we saw Avatar again recently. So good. We released in 4DX. Yes. Fucking killer film. Yep. But it finally jumped out to me how much, especially in the first 20, 30 minutes of that movie before... Uh, Jake goes Before into the really deep in Pandora body. Yeah. How much Cameron is working with layers in that film. He's always placing multiple screens and panels and things in front of characters. So he's just getting you used to before you're going to get into the big spectacle the amount of layers you can create between the frame and the main subject, yeah. right? And this is a movie like uh, uh, they re released Jaws in 3D over the summer, um, which uh, a good movie. Yeah, Jaws is good. Was that a good movie to do in 3D, though? This is the thing. So you're like, is this going to be one of these shitty fucking post-production things? And the fact is, Spielberg's natural shooting style is so perfectly suited for 3D. You watch Jaws in 3D, and you're like, it should have been this way the entire time. Not just the fact that, obviously, the movie takes place, like, on the high seas, and you have that innate depth and the, like, infinite horizon behind it and all that sort of shit. But he frames his images in terms of where to draw your attention, you know, and creating natural depth and movement and the shot timing that he's not someone who cuts too fast. Right. That, but that it, there's that principle of 3D you need to guide the audience's eyes. If you're changing their focus point too often, too rapidly, too wildly, it's another thing that causes a headache or confusion, yeah. the lack of orientation. And this is one of those movies where if you watch Coraline flat, you're like, what fucking just mastery of shot composition right. Selleck has and visual storytelling? Because it then becomes like Spielberg-y. Especially because I think he does, his camera moves a lot less in this movie than it moves in his other films. Yes. And it's because he understands I, I can't overstimulate people. Yes, I think it's it's really well done. Um, also, to Spielberg in 3D, there is that shot in E.T. where E.T. sticks his finger out and he just keeps it there and sort of like waves it in the audience's face. Mm-hmm. It's like, and he does e. the paddle e. ball. Yeah, yeah he, <laughs> he does, does paddle ball. He does paddle and ball. He, yeah, he throws a bunch of uh, ping carries, pongs at e. you. E.T. E. comes out of the closet dresses uh, in the wig. Yeah. But he's also carrying a two-by-four over his shoulder. <laughs> and he's like, E.T. have to do construction. Right, right. So he swings it around. He's like swinging it trombone. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so opening sequence is great, and then we go to they're moving into yes the Coraline the Joneses yes uh, and not the Joneses from that John Hamm movie keeping up with the, mm-hmm. no. uh, are moving to Ashland Oregon this uh-huh. is set in Oregon yep uh, I guess a shout out to Leica. hat tip to Leica right uh-huh. the Pink Palace Apartments nice. an old. You know, manse that's been cut up into apartments. And we see a great three-planed image of the big apartment with Bobinski on top and the cat on the, the sign. Yeah, so who lives here? You got the landlady who you never meet. No. Uh, and her son, YB. Grandson. You meet her at the very end. I Do you do you meet her? That's the end of yes. the film. I guess, I guess she is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, right, right, right. yeah YB's. YB's her grandson. Yeah. Yes. You've got Bobinski, uh-huh. the uh, sort yes. of... He's supposed to be like a Chernobyl liquidator, right? Like yeah. he yes. was like, yeah, like he's a Russian uh, immigrant. Yeah. Uh, you've got Mrs. Fr- Spink and Mrs. Forcible. French yes. Saunders. A real uh, recurring... Because yes. uh, Wendell and Wilde has the two nuns. Yes. You obviously have the two aunts, uh, Spiker and Sponge, and yes. James the Giant Peach. I feel like the witches in Nightmare form a similar thing. He loves the sort of like two intertwined 
old ladies. There's the double-faced person in Monkey Bone, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, it was funny. There's a couple of notes about the movie where I was, I was like, this is a real Henry Selleck character. Yes. It's a real Henry Selleck moment. Yes. Like, there's certain char- Because I, it's worth noting, so Neil Gaiman wrote the book. Henry Selleck wrote the screenplay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. At, at Gaiman's behest. Yes. Gaiman was like, you do what you want to do with it. Yes. Like, I trust you. Soul credit on yes, soul he does. credit. He does. Yeah. Um, and he had that script. I mean, they rewrote it many times, yeah. but he had that script long before like Leica existed. Yeah. Like, you know, he was, that was like his thing. And obviously there were talks of being live action. Like, yeah. It could have been a lot of things. So Coraline uh, is the coolest character in the history of cinema. Uh, she's got blue hair and a raincoat. I think she's so fucking cool. Yes. Like somewhere where I'm like, I wish I was friends with this person when I was 10 and we could have like adventures. Can you I know what just I mean? quickly call out? I guess I'm kind of a YB in a way because YB clearly yeah. just wants to be her pal. You're right? a YB. Yeah. The the two movers. No, you're a YB, okay? Okay. Well, I'm I a. Am. Well, I guess there's no one in Balenci. this where you're like I'm the cat, okay? Yeah, yeah. That's the coolest character. Um, the two movers. Yeah. Are modeled after the Ramft brothers. Oh, that's cute. Jerome Ramft, who's still alive, but this is Selleck's tribute to Joe Ramft, who's the one who who takes the shitty tip and sort of gives the right. like the look to camera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ramft had died a couple years before this. This is Selleck's yeah. first movie since he passed, who had obviously worked on his previous films. Absolutely. Yeah. And a legend. I just want to mention that. Apparently it's a very sweet man. tribute. But yeah. yes, okay, so Coraline, coolest girl in the universe. Using a stick so as a cool. dousing rod. Yeah, that, that's the Which other I don't thing. Love. Why don't you love that? Well, because it, again, so I, 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 I'm a little infected because I reread the book mm-hmm. uh-huh. in anticipation of this. And so the book is so lovely because it's more just about this girl who's it's it's very totoro when the kids find the new house and they're just sort of like wandering around that's like the book is just this young girl who's like i'm gonna go explore exploring i'm a kid yeah i see i love the dowsing rod thing because i did that when i was a kid it's that kid concept of like sort of very basic magic right where like i think my one of my parents told me like yeah this is you know some folkloric idea right you get one of these sticks and you can find water and i was like well, I can get a stick, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't need, you know, this is not complicated yeah. witchcraft over here. So I would do that. But I guess, it, I, you know, it's, it's, it feels it's, like a very not, like, kid thing to do. It's a good story, too, because she finds the water. And so it, it works. She finds the well. And that sort of alerts you to, like, maybe mystery is afoot here. And the well is within a, whatever, a fairy circle. And mm-hmm. the, the other thing is that the score is going, and you're like, all right, we're yes. in a mysterious well, land go, right I mean, now. Because the, the, the the opening credits score is the like fully gothic thing, and then it goes into this choir whimsical. Yeah, but right. like what's so jarring is that she's got these parents who are regular right. and have like a flip phone and a car aggressively, you know, yes. like and like dress like normal people, right? And like the dad's on a computer. They're like, so distracted. Yeah, which which I love to be clear, but like it's so odd seeing it in stop motion because you're like. This is a fantasy world. I don't right. understand. Like I've never yeah. seen anything and, like and this. Everything's so drab and earthy and quiet. And I, I just remember, you know, this is one of those movies where I, I think much like you, JD, you're just like, I want this to fucking work. I want yeah. Selleck to be out of jail. I want him to have a win. I was so nervous for this movie where I was like, I want it to be good and I want it to be a hit and I want people to like it. Right. And the first visual reveal of the father. Yeah. When they cut to the reverse shot, because you're seeing him from behind, and then you just see the world's most tired-looking oh puppet. God. The yeah. whole cast, yes, is phenomenal. Yes, I agree. Even Dakota like Fanning, someone like 
Dakota Fanning is remarkable. Terry incredible. Hatcher is incredible. Terry that Hatcher, Hatcher incredible. is the one where you're like, that's such a funny moment where it's like, oh, she was sort of famous because of Desperate Housewives again. And it's like, is that why she got the role? And you're like, oh, do I take her seriously? And she's so good. She's so There's good. Because it's the dual role, yes, too. Like yes, she is the true dual both. role. Right, yeah. It's this interesting thing with animation because it takes so long that especially exactly. big Desperate studio Housewives animation. Desperate Housewives is hot in 2004, 5, yes. 6. You know, like that's when it's like at its hottest. Especially a big studio animation. I think you see this a lot with DreamWorks where they are very star-driven and want to load up their cast. Yeah. Part of the casting process is trying to guess who's going to be a big star in four years. So DreamWorks will often cast a lot of like comedy actors who are popping in supporting roles. Right. Who they would predict maybe by the time this movie comes out, they're like a bigger name. There's this guessing game. And when this movie gets announced and it's like the cast is Dakota Fanning, Terry Hatcher, Mm -hmm. and the guy from the Apple commercials. Right. You're sort of like, are they going to have a film that comes out four years from now and the entire cast is dated? By the time this movie comes out, it's the year after Dakota has done Secret Life of Bees. Mm-hmm. She's sort of in She's her weird into, transitional right, like period. Teen, grown up role Terry stuff. Hatcher was cast when Desperate Housewives was at its peak. I mean, By the time this on. movie comes out, yeah, but it's no longer cultural juggernaut, no. right? I think the Matt can- t- campaign is like wrapping up at this point in time. It's possible. It is this thing. And then it's like, everyone is fucking... Phenomenal in Deadwood this cast. was canceled. Deadwood was canceled. Yes, everyone was like yeah. cast at a peak point, going against what they would tell you to do. And you're like, is this going to be like Damaged Stars? And everyone's fucking great in it. Great. I I, I think Hodgman's performance is so good. It's, it's it's kind of key to the whole movie because I think, and Terry Hatcher as well. I think yeah. both of them they ground the film so much because. They are the script of the parents is mean. Yes. The parents are kind of mean. Yes. Sure. Which again, the book, they're not as mean, I don't think. In the movie, they're mean. They're distracted 2000s people. You know what I mean? But they're also pretty dismissive of Coraline. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, it puts you in Coraline's headspace where you're like, maybe I would want to be away from, you know, but but I think Terry Hatcher and John Hodgman both do such an amazing job of grounding those characters to something that still feels like there's love Within the, and John They're Hodgman especially, you distracted feel, and overworked. That's what I was and like, their say. kid is like, I you know, pay attention to me, and they're like, oh my. The God. way the I explain it to Nelly is, it feels like it's a Wednesday. It feels like yeah, it's I the said. middle yeah, of it's the week. Like, Rainy Jesus, Wednesday. Carl, we're moving. After right. can't yeah. you fucking spend forty five minutes just hanging out on yourself? Just the know, relief I felt when they cut to his face, and then Hodgman's voice comes out of the puppet. And everyone in the audience, every adult laughs, like a real laugh, not like a one-liner yeah. laugh, but this laugh of recognition of, I know exactly who this guy is, and I know exactly how he feels right now. And I think every adult relates in a different way to a kid who's just like, oh, right, this is when my parents depress me or bum me out or bore me. But they're I, playing it so real. And I think it's such good casting, and I think Hosmer and Terry Hatcher do such a good job. And John Hodgman, I, I, he brings this life to, like, you care for the the father in a way that is really particular. Yeah. He's goofy and boring and all of these things together, and there's this lightness to him. It's funny because he's someone, too, who, again, you're like, oh, the guy from the Mac commercials. Yeah. But I think anytime I've seen him being given a role that has a, a there there to it, like I really liked him in Mozart in the Jungle and his little side thing there, and like sure. there's, Hodgman's a great. He's actor. one of those guys yeah. where I'm like, I'd love to see him in more stuff. He can really, really, like, really bring. He's, like he's very self-deprecating about his acting abilities. 
I think he always says, like, I don't really know what I'm doing, and people pay me to do this, and I'll show up, and I'll do the one thing I can do. But as someone who has worked with him, he is an incredibly skilled actor. His sort of self-effacing quality is not right, a put-on. Yeah. Like, on set, he'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing, but you're a real actor. And I'd be like, you're fucking good. You know what you're doing. He's a very, very skilled performer, but this is pretty early in the run of people actually giving him stuff right. to do. I mean, we talked about it in our fucking Evil Dead episode, but he has such a bizarre path to becoming a performer. And this is one of the first times that someone's giving him real meat outside of sort of just doing the Hodgman yeah. comedy persona. And Terry Hatcher also, mm. again, it's, I think it's such a nuanced performance. I agree. And both of them, my gosh, their other performances... Yes. Yes. The, the the alterations to their voice that they do, it's I really think this is really good. And Dakota Fanning is she is so young when she's doing this. Yeah. But she was one of those kid actors who just had such crazy poise. Like so even in like, I think usually I it's Sam the thing something. with her is like, oh, this six year old is talking like a thirty seven year old. Yeah, like in this movie she feels grown. like such she feels like an eleven year old. Right. She feels absolutely yes, it's just like a kid with ever, some two. Right, yeah. Like this is just such a relatable kid. I and mean, she's an uptown girl, one could call her. She is. She was in a movie called Uptown Girl. Yeah. That's, that's true. What I was referencing. That's, um, true. that's true about her. She was living in a downtown world, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's funny because, yeah, this is right. Seeker Life. She is, I mean, this is the same year as New Moon. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Which she's right. probably like 18 at the point that also, it's coming animation out. Animation so, takes so long that she's no, been working she's on this for 15. years. Damn. You know, she Crazy. probably yeah. gets like a whole goddamn career. She like, gets cast when 18, she's yeah. 11 and comes out when she's 15, probably. Right, right, yeah. Right. Okay. So, so we meet YB. Yes. He shows Love up him. on a dirt bike. Wyborn. His name is Wyborn. Kind of mean name. It's mean, yeah. and she immediately, like, fucking Picks finds the bruise yeah. and pokes it of just, like, why were you born, yeah, she, she really, bitch? She really... Look, that was a again, weird line that does, Selleck put in there, It does feel too. like yeah. classic and, 10, exact 11 year delivery thing, I just gave it. That kind of, like, well, boys and girls are at war with each other, yes. right? We need to kind of yeah. be, like, right. ribbing each other at all times because we're enemies well, in, also the, this, in the like, great battle funny of childhood. thing with, like, Coraline is so bored, and she's so annoyed that she's bored, yes. that she's moved to the shitty town, that her friends aren't And this there, should be good. She has a new friend. That her parents aren't paying attention to her, and the second a new friend shows up, she's like, hey, fuck yeah, you, Yeah, I'm not interested. Asshole. I yeah. have friends. Yeah. They're not here, yeah. and so I don't need you. Yeah, Buzz And also, off, YB, is, he's annoying. Like, I love him. But he does kind of have yes. that vibe of like, I don't know, I was just hanging out. I'm like, no, you're not. You're like, want to be friends. Like, he's yeah. too vulnerable. You don't know how to express it's, it. It's exactly. like uncomfortable. Yes. Wyborn, yeah. that's, you know. It's tough. It's tough on. that he's called Wyborn. He's very cute. He That actor, Robert Bailey Jr., uh -huh. is on For All Mankind now. Oh, he's wow. still hanging oh. out, still working. Uh, uh, Jabuki Young White, the great mm -hmm. comedian, uh, tweeted. One of the great tweeters of all time. Uh, yes. One of his uh, uh, least antagonistic tweets of all time, he tweeted, I don't think that animated movies should be remade in live action except i should play wyborn yes yeah I mean, and it's sure. now whenever i watch the movie i'm just like fuck yeah uh i, I, I want to make it clear. never ever remake Coraline. it no, is I think funny how much remake, he looks like this character they should remake Coraline yeah. in live action. did you guys have any things that people bullied you name wise i've mentioned saved dims which someone hit me with when i was 11 i've talked about this on the podcast i went through my fucking entire childhood and i certainly got picked on no one ever you had to have been picked on yeah, of course. Yes, obviously. Obviously. No one ever fucking cracked Sniffin' Poomin', which was right Whoa. there. I yeah, but that's identified it at like 19. Literary. You know, Sniffin' Poomin'. I don't know. It, it, just feels, it feels just a little too like clever. No one ever threw that at me. Ben, no, I, mean, I feel like you were dishing them out. 
Definitely. I got a lot of like, you know, Davy Crockett, right? That was just like still a thing you would call any David back back when. Yeah, sure. Davy Crockett. Um, yeah, anyway, Wyborn, uh, he's fun and uh he has found a little doll, rag doll that looks like Caroline. With How funny. Eyes. What a quinkity. So he gives yeah. it to her. It's sort of the only interesting thing that's happened to her. Right. I do like that the dad's she's like dolls. Sure, she's getting a little old for dolls, yeah, but right. I do like that the dad is like uh, I don't know. Go count the windows. I'm like, come, yes. come on, guy. That's gonna take her like two minutes. Yeah. Like, we, although there are a lot of windows in the in the pink palace. Yeah, I, they include it in the movie, but the book it's also uh, make a list of everything that's blue, which I love. Uh, yeah, that is fun. I mean, I get the. I when, it's just when the dad says windows, yeah. I'm like. Man, you moved here without a plan, huh? Like yeah, exactly. you, you have an only child, you're moving to this place, and like all you've got for her is windows. Maybe buy her a Super Nintendo. Or something. I, I have to I just have to imagine read. if that's the movie, it's just she plays she Super Nintendo plays for an Mario. hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. I have to just read this uh quickly. Cause it recently, uh a fit of insomnia, whatever, I was texting you throughout this. I decided one night in a, mm. a fit of mania uh, to that. um Create a master list of every video game, tie-in video game yeah. for a movie we've covered on this podcast. Yes, yes. And this does have a tie-in video this game. This does. Yes. This does. So Never I was, played it. I was looking to see, because I was like, I, I got I was a, thinking about getting it to see. I got a DS recently. I've been oh. playing DS games, which I missed that whole era. Um, and I was like, is the Coraline DS game worth playing? And I looked up the AV Club review, and I just want to read the opening paragraph of this, yes. because it's exactly what we just talked about. When Coraline's father tells her to count everything blue in the house, viewers of the stop-motion movie Coraline can clearly feel the pain of being a bored, neglected child. But when you're asked to perform the same time-wasting <laughs> oh, task no. as part of I the mean, Coraline it makes sense. game, you have to wonder whether you have better things to do. I mean... <laughs> That's this savage. Look, this <laughs> then you would go to the other world, which was playing a different game. Yeah, this <laughs> film does end in a what you know, video game fans call a fetch quest, right? Yeah. Where she has to go find yes. the hidden yes. items, and that's how she's going to defeat a, the big a, boss. A great final that. boss. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I can see someone watching this and being like, I, I feel like this could be a video. And game. this they even have world. an NPC that's like. Congrats, you got one. There's three left. Right, this is exactly. the end, yes. basically, of the era where if you're making an animated film and you don't have a tie-in video game, you don't exist. It is perfunctory. It is assigned to you. Yeah. No matter what, something has to come out. Um, and when I saw 100%. Coraline, I was like, I wish I could be counting the stuff that's blue. This game just sounds like it's a series of mini games, and they're mostly the games of when she's in the real world and bored. Um, but I would, yes, if I'm the game designer. That there's a whole level where you're walking on that stick and you're trying to balance. <laughs> but this is if, if I'm the fucking game designer and yeah. someone's like, well, she has to count the windows in the movie. Should we do that in the game? I'd be like, I, I, no, we can skip <laughs> yeah. that. Let's have something. Maybe she fights a monster or something yeah. cool. I feel know? like that game designer has like 10 IP games he has to finish no, that week. I mean, right. That is like, the exactly. reality of He's like, what? She, she counts stuff? Great. Can, yeah, <laughs> sure. God, that's an hour. Anyone, <laughs> else be, anyone else would just Level be like, two, I don't know. Done. She has to like, pick up coins and break blocks. Who gives a shit? I mean, I've a watched, big part of the, a big I watched part of the movie YouTube. she goes around and collects coins. Yeah, I watched a YouTube of the game. It it actually looks all right, not the DS version, but like the yeah. Wii version, and, and or the whatever. whole voice cast did it, which is yeah. yeah. It, it, and it, it's it's you're you're walking around the house, yeah. You know, it's all right. right. PS2, Wii, and DS. I'm still probably gonna fucking. Buy I would have made Bobinski playable. That guy's fun. Well, I just want like a fucking that Bobinski like Call it, of Duty game, like wait, Call of person. Duty. <laughs> yeah, he's I want, like, like in Bobinski Chernobyl. first person fighter. 
It's it's Call of Duty, but with his bare fists. Like sure. him training his mouse. Chernobyl, shit, yeah. You know, like well, and you yeah. do a sequence game Honestly, and then you get yeah. him to like do a little dance. If they did like an Elden Ring style game with Coraline, where you can just like explore the lands yeah. between other, yeah. that'd be good. You know, um, it's funny you mentioned that, JD. We're, this is your first time recording in our new studio. We have our, our offices here, Blank Check Productions. Yeah, this is really nice. I'm looking around. I'm seeing. You, did you clock this too? Has, well, Walls, ceiling. Right. So floors. we're talking about counting windows. And right. There's number one, there's no windows in here. There are no windows in here. But there's one, two, box. three. I guess, does that count? Yeah. That's like a. There's three in whatever this is. But it's a really nice space. Um, well, there's, I mean, there's, the, look, there's the front door to the, the hallway yeah. of the building. Then there's the door for a bathroom. And right. then I, closet th- door. Th- and then there's, right. there, there is that weird, it's the little, what do you guys put in there? We didn't put anything there. I mean, we no, just moved it came in with here the space. And it came yeah, with the it's so small. Space. It was just this kind right of here? painted over. I don't know. Yeah, just... I mean, there is a key that they left for it. I don't know. For this little tiny door? Yeah, right for here? the little tiny door. Yeah. yeah. And you're pointing to it, of course. It's right there. <laughs> right there. Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> Anyway, Wait. so Coraline's bored and she's like counting. No, no what, I what mean, gonna... sh- Wait, JD, what are you doing? What? <laughs> Wait, okay, you're turning the latch. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm over I didn't know I was going through the door. Well, of course, you're clearly the one with the body built best for <laughs> crawling through a tiny passageway. Why would I, the one built like a child? volunteer for this yeah, and the one who knows what's happening through that door as well but okay okay i'll do no, it no no no, do, no you want to no, no, do no. it really i'm gonna do it okay i'll do it gladly here i go jd what's going on in there hey jd what's up Wow, there's another no, there's another podcast studio what? in here. Oh my god. Are you recording? It seems like they are. Let me see if I can listen in. Yeah, we let's not interfere. <laughs> I won't interfere. But let's see if we can eavesdrop a little bit on is there like an other podcast guest? Yes. Okay, hold up your mic. Uh, other David. Yes, I I know you grew up in England. We all know. Okay, so let's just do the bit. Um what? No. No ding dong bell? No no bit? Huh. I, I guess in this other world, it's not a big deal, and you're just allowed to own your own childhood, and no one makes a big joke out of it. That's good for you, Other David. Oh, and Other Griffin, um, I was reading Other Deadline this morning. Congratulations, apparently, on season seven of The Tick. That's cool. And I guess you're you're about to start filming Draft Day 9, The Chronicles of Rick? I like this other place. This is good. Uh, but to answer your question, so right, you're absolutely right. That is not my voice singing the other father song. That is the voice of John Linnell of They Might Be Giants, uh, who wrote that song. And what happened was the day before I went into Leica to record the day before I had a call from the wonderful director, Henry Selleck, um, asking me, oh, I forgot to ask, um, do you know how to do a Michigan accent, specifically an upper peninsula Michigan accent? Um, and also do you know how to sing? And as for the first part, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No. And as for the second part, singing, I was like, mm, sort of. And it was very nice. And he let me sing the song and we recorded it. And I did my best. But it did not surprise me at all uh, when I saw the movie in the theater that I did not hear my voice and instead heard John Linnell's voice. And it did not bother me. 
um, because, you know, it sounded better. It's his song. And John Linnell and John Flansburg are both my heroes. And I thought it was kind of an honor to share a stop motion doll body with They Might Be Giants for uh, however long that song was. Um, but, you know, like I do sing the song quite quite a bit in the shower, trying to get it right finally, I guess. And um, we're here in this kind of alternate other universe that you call it. So would it make any sense for me to sing my my other version, the, the the other version of the song from the other father, would that be cool? Yeah, I'll, I'll take your eerie, unblinking silence um, as a yes. <clears throat> okay, uh, one and a two, and you know what to do. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a friend of mine. She's as cute as a button in the eyes of anyone who ever laid eyes on Coraline. When she comes around exploring, Mom and I will never ever make it boring. Our eyes will be on Coraline. Fart. I I said fart at the end there to indicate that this was clearly parody and therefore fair use. So um so you can't be sued. So wow. Well, you know, that, that felt, that felt great. I tried to put a little other father spin on it there. Um, I don't know, you know, John Linnell's amazing, but that felt good to me is kind of a dream come true. I like, I like this place. I'm, I'm glad I found that, that little, that little weird door, uh, hidden behind those stacks of authors, copies of vacation land and medallion status available in paperback and crawled through it here. Maybe I should stay here. What do you think? You all seem to be nodding silently. Hey, um, other Ben, why are you coming at my face now with that huge needle and that very unsanitary looking thread? What, what is it? Buttons? Buttons for eyes? Uh, no, thank you. No, I mean it. No, please, no. Ow, 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 All right, so we're 10 minutes. <laughs> she pretty quickly discovers this door. It yes. happens very early in the film, which I like. I'm back, right? Yeah, you're canonically, back. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. canonically back. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, the mouse leads it to her at right. night. Right, right. Uh, and uh, she meets Peeling, in this other uh, world. Peeling wallpaper, and she finds mm-hmm. the little door. She cracks it open. The tunnel the tunnel's unfurls, very cool, as we and mentioned. Okay, the the language of cinema has changed forever. Yes. Um, uh, the next thing that mm-hmm. I want to point out, number one, I love the other performances. Mm-hmm. John Hodgman has this like sort of like southern draw. Ooh, like, I can't the, really do it. Folk yeah. Yeah. Like it's it, like a it's, little it's a funny you're sort of like, how are they gonna make this guy fun? Right. Yeah. Right. Like with the mom, you get it that she's nurturing and she's attentive. She's making her kid food. Like right. it's all this stuff. Cause like whatever. You can tell that the, the mom in the real world is like, can we just order takeout? I'm busy. I'm What's distracted. that language? She's like, for two people who write about plants all day, you sure hate dirt. Like it's this <laughs> right. thing of like what she you do is dirt. boring and you don't even like it when it, right. I can it's find a fun version to a of kid it. of like this is it this right. is what anyway but Hodgman uh like his other version right is this kind of like sort of how do you describe like loopy sort of showman but like, it is this weird it's like sort of swinger dad yeah I like that he's Bing not Crosby like energy yeah and he's it's not like, like some like cool sunglasses no. wearing no, but it's like smoking jacket pipe dad he yeah. reminds yeah. me of the dad of like you go to a friend's house and it's yeah. the dad who you're like. 
ooh, that dad's fun. No, so he's got he's got this incredible piano with giant mechanical hands, which that is come very out, cool. Reach out into the audience. What's in better than a white glove puppet hand thing? So and he this sings is, a song about how great his daughter is. So how cool she is. She's a pal of his. Nice of him. Let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. The one place where it is not our friend John Hodgman, it is instead yes. John Linnell. John Linnell of They voice. Might Be Giants. Yes. Um, Flansburg and Linnell did, I believe, like 12 songs. Yes. For this at this one point movie. was going to be a full on musical, which is interesting because there is a Coraline stage musical that I believe premieres in New York City the same year as this. Like there are two Coraline it's a musicals parallel project. Yeah, that are completely right. separate going on, but this was going to be a, a, yes, a full like 12 song musical. And I think it is such a shame that that full They Might Be Giants version of the music for this never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. That, is that cool This thing. is the only thing left over is this one song. You have the song that uh, the French and Saunders did. Did they not do that song? No, I think this is just, I think this is it. There's the one other musical number in the movie when she sees them perform. Right? Uh, sure. Right. Yeah, uh, I don't yes, know if they that. That is, uh, what is that? What is that? That's Nellie Jean. What's the song called? Oh, sure. Um, because, the, yeah, the only thing John Linnell wrote is the other father's song, which he performs. Yes, yes. Um, the point is, there's a whole They Might Be Giants. Like, this was, there's like a They Might Be Giants songs throughout. Yes. Right, they they wrote 10 songs. We apparently. need those songs. I mean, at the very least, I like, think it's, l- release it as a fucking album. It's it, been over a decade. Give it us makes the, like, sense that he was like, this movie is melancholy. I want yes. this choral, mm-hmm. you know, uh, score and all that. It makes total... And, it, like, this is a movie about a lonely girl. Right. Mm-hmm. It fits that vibe. But I guess I get what you're saying of just, like, I'd like to hear the music. Yes. Like, you know, if they like, just happen to show up online somewhere. Because <laughs> I'm sure they're owned by... Whoever. I don't know. I mean, that, that shit always uh, comes yeah, down to how right. contracts were. Yeah, yeah. Who, I would who, just who, love right, if who. that snuck out into the world. Wouldn't that be so Does fun Chili to get? Does Chili T own that album now? Yeah, he might actually. Does he, he might actually be songs? planning on He just privately album. records over right, 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 it. Yeah. Right. With Bumblebee. Can He's I just read a quick quote them. here from Selleck yeah. that is, uh, it's, it's from Portland Monthly. Sure. Uh, an article called Hollywood Nights from February 2009 talking about the the inception of Laika. Yeah. And uh, Selleck's talking about how much they supported him and his vision. And he says, Coraline was a huge risk, but these days in animation, the safest bet is to take a risk. That's nicely put. That's nice. Isn't that nice? Of course, it is the kind of thing Henry Selleck would say when he's trying to get you to fund his movie. I've, sure. I've, I've thought about it, and this is actually the safest move for you. But anyway. Well, Here's how I would that. describe Other Father. Mm. He's the kind of dad who listens to They Might Be Giants. Yes. Yeah, sure. sure yes. Sure, sure, it's sure, a right. perfect fit. Perfect for a preteen yes. kid. Yes. Like a teenage kid might think like, oh, dad, you're being, you know, yeah. you're being all showy But you talk about like, what does she want out of her dad? Attention. Yeah. When well, she, she wants wait, attention out of her parents. Absolutely. Right. When she first goes into her dad's office, he's on the computer. He doesn't even fucking turn around to look at her. His eyes are fixed to the screen. He's mopey. He's depressed. He's got bad posture. You know, his skin is like fucking melting off his face. This dad turns around immediately. He fucking sings about how cool she is, you know? He yeah. makes her feel special. I will say one of my he favorite lines yeah. is, uh, so I, she, she meets her other parents who then create this huge dinner for her, yes. and it's raining. Out. they got button eyes. Yes. They do have button eyes, but they, have, they also have mango like smoothies yes. or whatever for yeah. her. But yeah. I love that the first thing they offer to her is they're like, let's go play tag outside in the rain. Yes. Her parents are like, ooh, let's go play tag in the rain, which right. is like, I think that's such a wonderful little detail of like to a kid 
their dream is that their parents want to go play tag, even though it's raining outside. Because when you're a kid, it's like, can I do this? And they're like, no, why not? Because it's raining. Because yeah, right. that's dangerous. Because you know, like it's all the because it's dinner time. Stupid because kids. You're gonna attract mud. A hundred percent. Because it's illegal. Right. You'll be because arrested. Because you can't push me down, Benjamin. That's not nice. Like to it's do like to when people. my daughter's like, I want that knife, and I'm like, you can't have the knife. You're a toddler, and she's understandably is like. I want the knife. Like, there's no good. You've said for yes this. to me for right? most of the exactly. things in my life. <laughs> I wish to walk around the house. Knife was her first word, right? <laughs> knife, knife. Uh, that would be uh, dis- disturbing. Well, it leads to my favorite line of one of my favorite lines of John Hodgman's in this is he goes, "We love mud here." <laughs> it is an like, amazing line. Other fathers like we love mud as if it's like that's like we love mud in this world. Hell yeah, I um, love it. Obviously, also her neighbors are more fun in the. Uh, in the, the parallel world, but I guess we don't really grapple with them until later. No, she doesn't so meet them until she So she goes yes. to sleep right now, which, yeah, by the way, this is a moment where I had a uh, a very selic character. Uh-huh. She goes into her other bedroom and the, all the toys are alive. Yes. And there's the one octopus that goes, what's shaking, baby? And I'm like, that's the most selic character. Very, yes. Yeah. I think in every movie, there's like some little sort of like crass it's, it's, it's the the bone daddy yeah. uh, centipede saxophone yeah, right. player centipede. character yeah, yeah, yeah. in that so, just a little yeah. character centipede, that like yeah. says a little thing that you're like get out of here someone yeah. who's like a 30s gangster yeah whatever. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. I could tell though that there's the was lobster off. face guy in monkey bones as soon as mm. she goes to bed and they watch her sleep that ain't right no I know it's supposed to be like, oh, isn't that sweet? They're being so nurturing. No. I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh uh. No. There is something not right about that. Yeah. You don't like your toys watching you. Well, that my parents with button eyes watching. Well, I was going to say, that's another thing that's not right about them is that they have buttons for eyes. Yes. Yeah, she's sort of skirting past that. It's such a good, like, when when you're someone like Gaiman trying to write a modern day fairy tale, which is a hard task because you have had centuries. It's one of the oldest storytelling forms. Yeah. And one that really persists to this day, right? Like, the classic fairy tales have a stickiness that a lot of other works from those eras do not, and relevance in our current culture. Hard to come up with a new concept that someone has not already tapped into because they sort of so thoroughly mind the primal fears and desires of a a child, you know? Mm -hmm. Button Eyes is such a fucking good idea. There's something so upsetting about it. Yeah. Like and the notion of the stitching needles, yeah, yeah, you know something that looks close enough to an eye but is dead, yeah, and it's feels great. upsetting to think about being actually permanently affixed to your face. And when they introduce those to her later, it's like one of the scariest lines when other fathers like needles show so sharp you won't feel it. Yeah, it's like Ugh, what? I the? also like black is customary. Yeah, like but then they're like but. You know, you can have another color if you it's want, so as if good. that makes it better. So she wakes up in real life. She wakes life, up. I like the neighbors. idea that it's like she's getting t- a taste of it. Yes. Like, this is how the other mother's getting her. Like, you just give you a little bit. Which, you know, most of these Wizard of Oz type stories we talk about, once they go into the place, they stay there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they jump out one time, you know? There's something interesting about the fact that this is really about her maintaining, like, this dual life for Mm -hmm. a good chunk of the running time. But when she goes back the second time, she meets other YB who is mute. Right. We also meet meet Bobinski. Well, when she she wakes up, she meets Bobinski. Real Bobinski. Real Bobinski, Bobinski, which is real. uh, uh, His animation is stellar. I was going to say, it's the example of you're introduced to him, what, hanging upside down on his hands, flexing. 
And he's the guy where I'm like, I can't wait to see how this fucking guy moves. He's yes. like Jack Skellington with a big Rick. old beer belly. He's like yeah. Jack Skellington with the, the mayor yes. on his legs. He's, yeah. he's like a, a little little ball of uh, mashed potatoes with the toothpick sticking out. Yes. And his he has a line that I love, which is, again, in the, the book as well, it's like the moment that's chilling where he's like, he comes back and he's like, oh, the mice want me to tell you, don't go inside that little door. Yeah. Right. She's and getting like, warnings of like, don't do this. And like, you're like, oh, Bobinski's sort of this guy that's a little out there. And right. thinks. And then when, when the mice are like telling her things that are real, then Bobinski you're like, knows. oh, whoa. He's fucking the only adult paying attention uh, on the wavelength. Right. Because Spink well, he Force- doesn't. He doesn't even, he's like, he's like, who knows what it means then? Sure. But Spink and Forcible, the, the, the uh, ladies who I love as yes. well. They're more like they do have insight, but it's like they don't even they're they're like ah, 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 and then yeah. they give her a peep stone later. You know, where they're like, they actually are smart. Yes. But they're they're so dotty you wouldn't well, even and, know and they're it. so obsessed with their past. Yes. It's about I mean, it's why Coraline fantasizes about them being able to fucking unwrap and right, reveal and turn into young also, versions of themselves. Spinks cheeks. So the Spink is the short one yes. with the cheeks that wobble that are it's just such good animation. I love and her then, dogs. Yeah, and I love forcible. How would you describe forcible? Huh. Hmm. I would say like what on her hmm. is notable and moves a lot. What feels like it was definitely designed for by... 3D, <laughs> like almost the most protrudent element. Yes, forcible is a. Uh, oh wait, stacked. here I'm looking down at my notes. <laughs> it says um, the titties question yeah, mark tickle bitties. Yeah. Um, and she also has it's the, bonkers um, that this is the design. Oh, it's of such this. a funny design Crazy. though. I think it's so funny for a kids like, movie though. I mean, and I know this is in like, of a certain. Age. Well, that's interesting. I wonder what yes. they were like. But, um, Wild. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But like, is it like they're burlesque performers? Is this like a little not appropriate? Uh, I think the oh, best kids, so, but that's the best fun about kids this movie is kind of like on that edge. That's a little inappropriate. Yeah, I, think, also, I think it's a thing we've lost. I don't like know you how I feel about Dumbo this. To be people are getting dead. It's that thing when you're a yeah. kid where you really zero in on someone's like some some physical attribute yes. about of an adult yeah. in a way that's inappropriate, yes. and like how kids will be like pointing something Just out say that they the shouldn't. Thing. Yes. You know, like yes. you don't have you know you're, you're missing a leg or you, right. know, right. you have one eye or so you know that you're not supposed she to talk about get or past the cheeks and the boobs yes um yeah. so like everyone in this movie is exactly but but the same babinski he's got the giant belly and everything else yes is skinny, the dogs you know? are so great too i mean the idea of knitting the angel wings for the dog that's yeah. still alive because she's just like well he's yeah. gonna die <laughs> there's a selic thing to creating models of characters that defy physics Yes. When when things are hand drawn or CGI, you don't think about it as much because it's not an actual weighted object existing in the world. Right. But when you look at these dogs and you're like, they could not stand up. The the disproportionate relationship of their head and their jowls to the rest of their bodies. Yeah, forceful be in a wheelchair. Yes. Yes. She would not be okay. Yes. Uh no, I think she'd be fine. What do you mean? Totally normal. No, uh, and uh that's all that's all cool. Um, and then she goes back to the other world. She meets YB again, uh-huh. who is mute. Yeah. Um, she meets the cat the, in well, her the second trip. Around. I know, but he speaks to her, I believe. And and it's the same cat. He is moving between yes, the worlds. Yeah. Between this is worlds. not an other cat. He's but the one who sees it. Only in the other it. world can he speak with the beautiful sonorous tones of Keith David. Right. Always a good. Yes. Great. We also well. So we go into the other world. Mm-hmm. And that's when we have uh, the garden sequence. Garden sequence, which very cool. the garden sequence is one of the 
the great animated sequences. I mean, so, the reveal of the garden of, of her face in the shape of her face. Right. Yeah. C- can I say that I think the mouse sequence is even better? Yes. Because yeah. that's the one where I'm like, these are two shows. Good lord, how much effort did this take? There's a reason they make that the sort of pull back the curtain thing at the end of the credits. Yes. Like, I will say I because it looks like a fucking zoetrope. Yeah. And yes. in 3D the synchronization of yes. it and all that. Yeah. In 3D, the garden is. Incredible, yes, because yeah, you're seeing yeah, yeah. all of these things moving in 2D, it's good, mm-hmm. but in 3D, it was. I remember just feeling like a pure dreamlike happiness in the theater, being like, This is what it feels like to be within joy. It's another thing, too, where Selleck understands the most effective way to use 3D is to know when to withhold it, yeah. So, like, making the opening more flat so that it will really, really call your attention to it when she goes into the other world. And similarly, that sequence, you haven't had a lot of things protruding out at you. Right. I just remember there's sort of the perspective shift as you go to the overhead shot. Yeah. But also, while that's happening, all the sort of flora starts acting up. It's all moving and sprouting. It does, it does the nightmare unfurling moment where yes. you're like, oh, yes. right. Incredible. Like stunning, gaspy stuff. They also establish in a very funny way, uh, oh, you know, the big robotic grasshopper that the dad drives. And you're like... Well, this won't turn evil later for sure. <laughs> right. But it's also right. so yes. funny because it's like, what do my parents do? They're like concerned with like agriculture, you know, like, it, it, but in a, the world's most boring way, they don't even like dirt. They just look at computer screens and write shit all day. Yeah. And it's like, if my parents are going to have a job like this, I want them to be writing a giant mechanical praying mantis grasshopper yeah like digging around making a flower bed in in the shape of my face exactly yeah we also have dinner where uh we get another great john hodgman line i love dinner breakfast food i mean a classic kid fantasy or it's sometimes a reality but right what what does a kid love more than breakfast for dinner right exactly yeah i don't know Uh, that's Reese's for breakfast i would say maybe other yb and other bobinski and up with, with other Bobinski is where we see all these, again, very Henry Selleck little machines. Yes. That like have the like deep boop beep. Like he, there's a bunch of that. It reminds me of all the uh, Christmas town stuff. In yes. Nightmare, yes. Where they're all sort of clockwork. Where it's like there's little clockwork yeah. machines that like and like cotton candy comes out and all this stuff. Yeah. And then, yes, the mouse circus, which I mean, what a feat of stop motion. It's hundreds it's of characters. It's him knowing, like, am I ever going to get this budget again? Like, and they is had this to studio going to shut down after one movie? They had to individually 3D print every one of those frames of every one of yeah. those mice. How do you make them jump? That must be annoying. They, they put, I mean, you CGI out the, like, metal. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's absolutely insane. And there's yeah, that's hundreds cheating. of them. I'm out on this movie. F. They cheated. you got to make it jump itself. Yeah. All of your Atlantic reviews have gotten very weird when you've been judging them based on whether Cheating they're real or not. <laughs> my, my, my review just stops. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. They, they faked this. Cheat, the, cheat. the filmmakers clearly thought I wouldn't recognize this man as Mr. Tom Hanks from previous films. It's not auto at all. Yeah. You're reviewing movies now like you're Mystery Inc. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so... On her third visit is obviously when it turns malevolent, when they, uh, they're they like, you know, you can yes. stay here forever. Yeah. I also, uh, we have the, the moment where we, we go into real life town that I really like mm. because we get the against store. some very solid yeah. characters. Yes. He always has to have street musicians at some point. Love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, a very solid thing is the um, weird stop motion character that crosses in front of, sc- like, okay. 
like there's a a, a lady that yes. like waddles across and, for, and I'm like that's every Henry Slug movie has some weird like waddling foreground character that it's like they're just like to some animator like I don't know make this fun for three seconds yeah. which I absolutely love I'm breaking animation news Hayao's Miyazaki's new film is basically done apparently. wow wow that's cool um, so anyway. probably come out next year, 23? hopefully, wow. at least maybe in Japan. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, apparently they they take it took them one minute per month of animation, is what they say. I know. Damn. Wow. Um, so anyway, uh, what else happens in Coral? Oh yeah, the, the, that's when the you know that's when things turn sour. Then she goes back. That's when she meets the cat. That's when we get the yeah. forceful and spink performance. Yeah, that no, is like isn't doesn't she get trapped in the mirror? In between those yes. two things. Like, you know, that's when she meets the ghost. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, they, they are or like, there's look, a, there's the rag doll in her here. eyes. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's after the uh, dinner for breakfast, I think. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it doesn't matter. We get, we, it's fine. Uh, people but but these, the uh, this, this character does not exist solely in relation to her. This is the, the Bell Dam. It's Bell Dam. She's the Bell Dam. But but she has trapped ensnared children before. This is what she sort of preys upon is the the lack of fulfillment in children's lives, assuming the role of the parent they wish they had until she lures them in. And now there are these three ghost children. Um, so Caroline is going to be trapped. She know and and then her parents get kidnapped. Her parents are gone. And uh -huh. she escapes from the mirror world. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um and uh and so that's when she proposes the game of like let me try and we also find see the items. this the forcible and spink performance yes which is which very is. very 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 unnerving and cool and that's the moment when it's like them unzipping themselves is and is even Coraline's like shit. Coraline's like she's like naked practically right like, that's yeah. like a line Coraline has that's another audience. thing that I remember getting like a huge cathartic laugh from all the grown-ups in the audience when Coraline calls out like should we be seeing this yeah because yeah. like already you're like I cannot believe they're putting boobs this big in an animated that, film in 3d and then like she magic. comes out wearing should I be watching? is this for kids yeah now she's like almost topless yeah yeah um that that's when you have the sequence where they're pulling the levers and changing the sets which yeah. is such incredible yeah. sort of like once again, just like 3D fucking show off shit where you're like changing the. Yeah. Ugh, it's so good. Now, I think this is a five star movie. I love this movie. Yeah. I do think the fetch quest is maybe the least interesting part just because it feels like the movie's like, okay. There has to be. She yeah. has to do this. We're running out of time I agree anyway. With you. I think they do it pretty quickly. They do it quickly. That's and the I thing. Also, I, the, the thing I'll defend most about it is that you've at least set up within the movie this character becoming very skilled at creating games for herself yes, in order to keep herself occupied. The only child thing where you're like, this is the special skill. This is the wax on wax off moment. Yeah. It's, it's so but, crucial to kids stories yeah. that like, she's got a clever way to right. out of it. Yeah. Right. What and, is she specifically trained for that? She never even realized is her greatest asset. Yeah. Right. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's the main thing of the book. So the book has a lot less plot stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And so when she's given the, the rock with the hole in it, that's like, what's that for? And then yeah. this fetch quest is sort of like the only thing. Yeah, sure. And so I think it's harder in this one because there's other stuff going on. So then you're like, oh, a new thing? This like yeah. fetch yeah, quest? Yeah, and again, it just, they take care it, of it quickly yes. because it needs to be done quickly. Exactly. Which yeah. is fine. Man, um, I also love the the moment of... Uh, Coraline going around with the cat and realizing that the yeah, artifice the, yes. of the environment, the, the yes. world is limited. The, the, the way the that's mom done, done oh, yeah. the that's way that's so all fucking visualized. Yeah. Yes, there's so much in there th that uh, is so nuanced, and yeah. I don't know. You can draw so much from that in so many different ways. 
for, like different people can really read into that in different ways. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. And I love that they use a lot of the the illustrator Tadahiro Yusegi, like his yes. style of those sort of like viney kind of things. Like it feels very of his style that when things start disappearing and turning away, like I like that aesthetic. It's the different. thing I love about Leica is they really embrace asymmetrical design, yeah. which so much of animation is symmetrical, round, balanced. Do we like the other mother's arachnid monster form? Yeah, yes. here's the thing cool. I love about it is um, it, much like Miss Spider mm. in uh, James and the Giant Peach. It turns you all the way on? Well, yeah, yeah, step <laughs> on me. Okay, your <laughs> spider face mother. Just, he brought a Miss Spider. No, what? what, what JD Amato now has 50% stake in blank check media. Yeah. Um, no, I think once again, it's it's a, a character design that allows Selick to strip away the stop motion puppets to their essence. A lot of this form of other mother, especially your hands and stuff, feels like he's actually just using the underlying armature of right, especially once these puppets. You've got her skeleton hand right yeah at the end there, pretty cool, and her sort of fractured needly, ceramic yeah, shattered yeah, yeah, face, yeah. yeah, and like even like the sets start, you know, all the colors going away, and they start. It's like. It's like the stop motion universe is becoming unveiled to be a fake stop motion universe. Yes. Which is the story. And going back to the opening of the film. Yeah. Where we're seeing, yes. Um, yes. I also want to point out that Terry Hatcher followed this up with great voice work in Planes and Planes Fire and Rescue. What's the name of her character? Dottie. Great. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, she, I, I also like the big bug uh, armoire thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also. that thing's cool. I that, love... that house becomes more insect bug like yes ish i i love a good fake out ending yeah well of course she, she does defeat the bell dam she uh you know rescues her parents she's back home and it feels genuine it does it does and it is kind of genuine like she mostly has accomplished and i goal. i love the you know them being covered in the snow being like what are you talking about? we just got home nothing weird has happened and she's like there's snow on you. i know there's tangible proof that this <laughs> really is, happened it, it wasn't a dream so satisfying as a kid that ending where you're like i'm the only one who knows that something weird happened right but I there's the that. evidence the physical there is, evidence there, there's the little thing in my head. whatever it is yeah they're like, you're like, was it a dream? And then you like open your hand and there's right. a magic coin in it. And you're like, I guess not. Which is the opposite of the, um, from uh, Time Bandits to end, which is like mm. the most like. Remind me, I haven't seen Time Bandits. I, 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 you know old. what, JD? I brought up at the end of Time Bandits in the James and the Giant Peach episode. I feel like that ending is very influential on Selick. And I was, I, I came short of saying the ending just because the ending is so. Yeah, insane that I okay, don't want to ruin, ruin it. Ruin even it for yeah, check out Time Bandits. Year old movie. Check out Time and Bandits. And also, we have you know another episode to record, so we don't need to talk about Time Bandits too much. <laughs> but I, I genuinely feel like even for what's an old this film, door? five more minutes. What's this door? <laughs> what's this TB door? Oh, Does it go to Tampa Bay? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a call with a star of Time Bandits. Oh. Um, but I, yes, the ghosts show up. <laughs> I do like that the ghosts are now happy little angels, yes. not creepy ghosts. No, and they're like, "Thanks for saving us, but you do need to yeah, deal also, with her." This isn't resolved, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. She's I do like that. They're like, kind of they're, she's, she's like, "Good, we're all safe," and they have a moment. They're like, eh, "No, yeah. really, we're we're okay." Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, Which I like when ghosts are like, "Yeah, we're good." You're still you're in trouble. Still. Which is there's only one sort key. of focused on you. You have it. She'll right. stop at nothing to get it again. She will come for you again. It like makes death this sort of thing where you're like, oh, that seems nice. And it's the like, well, you're still alive. True so escape. Best yeah. of luck. Um, but that's their their thing too. Is they're like, hey, the good news is you're still alive. Right. So that's great. You're not out of trouble, <laughs> yeah. but you're alive. 
<laughs> That's the good news. But she does enjoy it. Smoke them while you got them. You know, successfully <laughs> fend off the hand and yes. destroy the key with the help of good little YB uh-huh. on his motorcycle yep. and his cool mask. Okay, here's my one. I think I've I keep doing this, so I'm not gonna say but what? like what I like in the book mm-hmm. is that Coraline comes up with a plan to kill the hand. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in here, she seems like she's like doesn't really she's totally have a plan. It. And it's and like why be hero moment? Yeah. yeah, sure. But she's had a lot of hero moments already. But what I like in the book is she like has this moment of like I'm gonna take I this like on myself. Book. I, I knew you're gonna. You the library. No, I, you're just you're you're inviting it by being like I know I keep talking about the book. I feel like I'm usually that guy on the podcast. So I'm enjoying the not having David Raz me for. I like how in the book it was all written down on a piece of paper. Oh, it's okay. a Minecraft documentary. <laughs> all right, let's talk about 3D TV technology. <laughs> oh fuck yeah. no, yeah, we're not doing rules. that. Um, yes. he's talked about his 3D TV quite a lot over the years. I will say. I think by he, I mean Griff. it's still. The thing that is the biggest red flag about Griffin is that he, has a he, said he still has a 3D TV. <laughs> 3D TV. You mean it, like it he implies... invites a lady home and they see like the 3D goggles? But like also table, like when like, he's with his therapist and he's like, "Hey, I think we've made a lot of progress. Maybe we can." And the therapist's like, "Tell me, do you still have your 3D TV?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Great. I'll see you on Tuesday. I'll see you on Tuesday." <laughs> and actually, the rate's going up. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Um. Uh. You know what I like. What? Thanks for asking. Just that the, the the final thing is that nice little party. Mm-hmm. And it's that Coraline is like, invite everyone. Because even though they're weird, like, I want to see them. Well, this is what, it, one of the things that is nice about the way the character changes, right? Is she starts at the way being like, this town fucking sucks. Yeah. I keep on looking at this photo of my two best friends who I can't see anymore. And I do and like I when they, whenever they come to life and they're like, we miss you. Right. You know, in the photo. It's and yeah. she's fun like, I'm trick. so fucking bored and lonely. And it's like, Coraline, you've moved into the world's weirdest neighborhood. True. Everyone in your immediate vicinity is fascinating. And she's like, fuck off. And by the end, she realizes like, Oh, I'm like lucky that I get to have this odd childhood surrounded by the world's most bizarre grown-ups. Well, I think that's the thing too, is that obviously this story can bring Babinski over. In its in its form, the base of the story is about an internal change, right? But what I like about the ending, especially here in the movie, right, at the end, is that when you bring those characters in, it also makes her change external, right? So she's also come to realize that all of these people who she thinks are like boring or weird or mm. whatever actually probably have these rich inner lives and rich yes. pasts to them. Like, you know, she, she has to change them on a superficial level. She should find out who they are. Right. Like she now sees Bobinski as this person that might be teaching these mice to do these amazing things yeah. or the spink and forcible or these crazy old perform. Like they're not just old people anymore. Right. And I, d- I love an end, you know, I love Labyrinth is like my yes. favorite ending where it's like, oh, all the characters come back and have a party at the end. And it's nice, like, isn't it? Yeah. Just to have just the see everybody. Be like, Great. We made yeah. it to the end of the movie. Let's have a party. Yeah. Like, it's such a nice, fun. I, every movie should end that way. Yeah. You can't name a movie that I don't think would be better, w- would be worse if all the characters at the end came together Rogue and had one. a party. All of them come They're together. All I was going to say there will party. be blood. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just some movie where everyone's dead. Uh, there will be blood. would be fun. Let's. Party! <laughs> and I've got milkshakes for everyone. Ronnie good. Dangerfield pulls the cover off the golf yeah, exactly. bag and reveals a stereo system. Why didn't you say so? Dun, dun, Somebody's dun. getting laid tonight. 
Wait, why is he Sean Connery? <laughs> <laughs> He's Daniel Plainfield. Trying to do Sean Daniel Plainfield. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know what else more movies should do? The they right. should have 26 individual posters for every letter of the alphabet. Heard a character poster. Did you ever hear a letter poster? They've got one for every one. Every letter. Some of them Dang. are stretches. This is the thing. My child's it's, bedroom will have every one of those posters on it. Focus features releases for this Zanzibar film. Chocolate Beetles. Look, they had to really stretch for some. It's an these. independent animation studio. Why is for yum? Because she eats food? Potentially the future of this entire medium rests on the success of this movie. Not, you know, to mention the success of this man being able to make another film ever again. This director. Uh, and Focus is releasing it, not even Big Universal. So it's a specialty independent arm of a studio mm-hmm. releasing a kid's movie in the winter. Sure. Uh, they had to get very creative in how they marketed this movie. Well, why don't we play the box office game where we can talk about what a success that was? Look, a, a, a success is not ultimately defined solely through box office. No. For someone who is obsessed with the box office, of course I've not. certainly come around to the victories if the movie exists out in the world. And if they got away with it, they somehow got the money to make their vision. Right, right, right. And we're better for it culturally. Mm -hmm. But the relief I felt seeing this movie opening weekend and having it play well with an audience that was sold out, doing well the first weekend, and then fucking multiplying well. Yeah, it it, it was like it dropped 12% in its second weekend. Like it was, it had very good stage. You're like, this keeps Leica in business for 20 years. This gives Selleck another movie, even if it took fucking 13 years to make. Like it just net positive for the culture that this movie was successful. And as long as Michael Jordan brand is still pumping out the dollars, we're not worried about that box office. This movie also is like so against the trends of animation at the time. Like I really think I was worried it was going to be seen as dorky or quaint. We have talked about, though, how we've mentioned how, like, the five Oscar nominees this year are up, which wins Best Picture nominee as well, Uh obviously. Coraline, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Princess and the Frog, and Secret of Kells. It's this, like, great... It looks like you just got Ponyo a disturbance snubbed. in the force. Both Ponyo and Cloudy with a chance of meatballs yes. don't make it in. Is like, this one of the best animation years? It, I, I think it's almost indisputable. Like, ever? And it's like this Every sort of broad... lineup has one stinker in it, I would argue. You usually look at any category, any animation uh, uh, grouping yeah. from the Oscars since they started, and there's one movie where you're like, they had to round out the three or the five. I'm just saying, uh, is, uh, there, is there a year that has had more... I mean, no. When you consider that the two things fucking left off the list are cloudy, yeah, like and Ponyo? I, w- I want. Obviously, I would have Ponyo in there, and I would probably yeah. kick out up. But I'm saying, I would too. I'm, I'm saying just sort of people separate, think we're fucking rude Oscars. to up, but we all have the same opinion, which is like it's better than most movies and not as good as most Pixar movies. I'm and, saying and separate cloudy from the is a very Oscars, cute movie. Yes. Yes. Is there an animation year that has? Fantastic I, Mr. Fox. I don't know. I mean, probably not. It's hard, it's you know, hard to... Coraline? Yeah. No. I mean... I know. And no. I bet two stop-motion features came out in the same year. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's very cool. And from, like, different studios. Like, it's there's a diversity in every sense. It's a, it's a great lineup. Um, the, and this film made $75 million domestically and 126 worldwide. Very, very uh, robust numbers. Yes. Um... It opened, however... I, I will say also, I looked when it came out on DVD, and that DVD was well a DVD. red and blue, uh, uh, you know. It, later, they packaged this disc in with 3D TVs to incentivize people to buy it. Right. I, I'm not the, I have the one with the 3D glasses, the right. red and blue one. The red and blue one. Uh, first week, it did $20 million in DVD sales. It's a thing that Selleck always talks about where they cap stop-motion budgets. They'll never give them the same amount of money that they do 
uh, CGI films or even hand-drawn films. And there's sort of a ceiling to how they can perform at the box office, but they linger for a long time. And I think right. Coraline has been a really consistent performer. And y you still fucking see, you know, merch, constant Blu-ray releases. Um, yeah, it's a, a, a highly profitable film that has kept Leica in business. But it opens number three at the box office uh -huh. with $16 million. Uh -huh. Behind, well, number one is a new entry. Okay. It's a comedy. Hmm. <laughs> an ensemble comedy. Ensemble comedy, February 2009. Yeah, it's sort of Valentine's themed. Is it Valentine's Day? This is number no. 10? <clears throat> number one. Number one at the box office. 2009. It's new this week, $27 million opening. It's based huh. on a book that's based... He's just something into you. On a phrase. He's just not that into you. This is going to be the one myself. box office in game theaters, where I feel like Valentine's I have a Day. shot. Oh, this yeah, is sure, right. sure, sure, sure. Well, because this you is see, when I was in college. Yes. Did okay. you see Ken Quapis's, Quapis, Quapis, who can say? Quapis. Ken Quapis's, he's just not that I into you. I don't think I did. Once because, again, you know, there's that Valentine's sex in this of the episode where Ron Livingston, I don't know, I think it's Miranda's yeah. like, oh, the guy, he won't call me back, blah, blah, blah. What's going on? What's the game? And he's just like, he's just not that into Craig you. And they Barrett treat it like it's like an entire the, career. The mystic it. knowledge of he men. He hosted a daytime talk show off of the success of that phrase. It is what, it is like, the, that's a deal breaker is that. making fun of in Third right, Rock. Exactly. That he just um, built a cottage industry out of this. Bad one. movie. Yeah, in my opinion, uh, but it's sort of got that ensemble thing of like, yeah. well, maybe you like this storyline better than that storyline. Connolly's kind of great in it. Sure. When's she bad? Never. When is she bad? Never. Jennifer Goodwin is sort of like the like soft star of it. Yes. It was sort of this moment of like, oh, is Jennifer Goodwin? She's on Big Love. Like, is she about to be like America's next rom-com right. sweetie pie? And then she gets caught up in Once Upon a Time for a decade. Ooh, what's this little door? <laughs> Justin Long uh, door, adding another yeah. character to his stable of uh, horror movie icons. Yes, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, so that's number one at the box office. Number Wild. two is an action film that came out last week and surprised by doing quite well, making $24 million. But perhaps even more surprising is that it's dipping only 17%. Now, I know what it is, but I want to see because you film. said... You feel a like fairly this is a like period. junky, cheap I action know, film that no one saw coming as a big. I know hit. what it is. I'm going to text it to David. Launcher. I want to see. If oh, JD can guess. I know you know what it is. Okay. I know. So you, you know. I know. I know. You know yeah. Oh no. We talked about it many yeah. times yeah, on yeah. these box I know office it games. It it and its sequels because it's it's an action movie that's being dumped. Super Bowl truly weekend. dumped. The yes. worst weekend to release a movie for guys. And it overperforms that weekend and then holds so holds strong the like second weekend crazy. it becomes a phenomenon oh, no. what is and it? launches a franchise. It dropped 17% this weekend. It drops 8% the next weekend. It, I'll it's say this. Like, it becomes a franchise. Yes. It fully mints this actor as an action star. Yes. Which he'd he never was been not prior. And he's old. But was already a major movie star, a serious actor, and he becomes a very unexpected late in life action star. Yes. What is it? It's Taken. 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 Ah. Starring Mr. Liam Neeson, uh, which has made $53 million. Oh, in two my weeks. gosh. Number it also like, had been released in Europe like two years earlier. It no, was maybe not two years, but had been released. A while yes. It was like readily available online, and people were like, Fox is dumping this. It's just going to be nothing. And then it, it exploded. Um, number three at the box office is Coraline. Movie? Number four at the box office is also new. I would say an underperformer. It mm. is a comedy sequel to a, a comedy remake that was perhaps ill-advised to begin with. Okay. And this is the sequel. JD? Pink Panther? Griffin knows what it is, huh? Pink Panther Pink, Returns. Pa the Pink Panther. I wasn't going to get it. Dos. Really? Oh, oh, no. Good job. Did you have a guess? I didn't yet. Okay. Fair I was going to stew on it, but I didn't have an immediate guess. Uh, Pink Panther Returns. Uh, Harold's Waltz. I got one. Yeah. We're on the board. 
Uh, I've never seen the Pink Panther. Please, Steve Martin. Is Cleese in that Cleese one? Yes, replaces he is. Klein as Dreyfus. Yes, Cleese is yeah. Dreyfus. Uh, you've got Alfred Molina, Andy Garcia, Emily Mortimer. Uh, it looks like they bring in the, what's the a, Bollywood an Indian actress. Name. Yes, uh, Ashiwaro. She was Rai. Like supposed she to was be in, um, you know Bride and Prejudice. Everyone and, thought she was going to be a huge crossover deal. Yeah, yeah. and she's a gorgeous, uh, charming star. Do, do you but know like, who's the no female lead in the first Pink Panther remake? No one talks about this. I talk about it. Beyonce. Daily. Beyonce's in it. Right, because that was the period of time yeah, when she, Austin Powers, right. Fighting Temptation. She yeah. was doing movies. Isn't it so funny that Beyonce was like Austin Powers, Pink Panther? Yeah. Like truly would not. Obsessed. Yeah. She just did a bunch of movies. Obsessed, right? And That's now it's going. like yeah. would never think of Well, her. now it's like you can't even like do an interview with her right. or whatever. Right. Like she's this sort of like Cleopatra level figure. She made like several not mainstream Cle- hits. Not Foxy Cleopatra, real Cleopatra. That would feel beneath her now. And then she did like two Oscar play movies, Dream Girls and Cadillac Records. Cadillac Records, which she's phenomenal They're in. Her best performance. And it now feels like she'll probably never do a movie again. Or if she does, she'll do it in like 20 years. It'll be a big ass deal. Well, she was like, a, wasn't she Nala? In yeah. The I Lion mean, King? Will, she, will she play a role on camera again? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's uh, just, it's fascinating because it's also people would be like, people obviously love to she put does things like Lemonade, which are sort of like, yeah films in a way like their visual albums that are almost feature length and she's very you know it's just funny to me that she's like she made more movies than Whitney Houston but she also never found her bodyguard right yes and something like dream girls that maybe should have been that for her she's so overshadowed I would like I would always argue that she was like a very capable star in these mediocre movies yes and and once again it's phenomenal in Cadillac Records you're like oh but like in Austin Powers she's like quite charming and like she's like yeah. 20 in that 19 yeah and like she's very funny in that in like yeah. uh you know pink panther like she's I'm very sure capable. she gives subtle nuance work <laughs> um number five at the box office another comedy this is back in the day when you know fucking winter you know yeah. crappy comedy central yeah what if a guy had this job what if this guy had this job huh is um oh it's a paul blart mall that's call. correct right because january 2009, Paul Blart and Taken, which are both sort of like dumps. Yeah, like who right. cares? Not only become like huge fucking like middle America word of mouth things. sensations, yeah. but suddenly like I guess these are our two biggest movie stars. Yeah. Kevin James and Liam Neeson, we have to build fucking franchises around these guys. And we saw like also directed Paul Blart, correct? He did. Yeah, he did. He did. It's he a wild type two side. movies in the top five at the same. It's like well, uh, and he directed Spielberg the sixth with film here, uh, which is Push. Not based on the novel by Sapphire. Oh, push the w- push the sort of the sort one. of vaguely X Men y kind of movie, which it, Dakota Fanning is in, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. And what is this? Chris Evans. This is at, right after, or right before Jumper. Uh, it's Jumper maybe right is after Jumper. Yeah. I remember later. there was a series of action films that were yes. based on, uh, like a one word uh, yes. ma- magic ability. <laughs> um, right, because I guess maybe Chris Evans can push people. That's something like that. I don't Dakota know. Dakota Fanning, Camilla Bell, Jaimon Honsu. Yeah, uh, Precious. I guess, oh, right, no, the heroes in Push are called Pushers. That's like their designation. Right. Yeah, Precious comes out this this fall. But this it's playing at Sundance January 09, knowing that this movie's coming out a couple weeks later. And Lionsgate, when they buy it, it's like, you got to change the title. Everyone is still going to, the memory, the people cultural are be, memory of People push, are so push crazy. Six yes, months yeah. from now is going to be overwhelming. Um, but yes, uh, so they renamed it. I think Ben is negotiating something with a pizza delivery. It's possible. Feels like um, this is a tense standoff. 
other films at the box office. You got Slumdog Millionaire, uh, and it's wow. sort of carrying on from its Best Picture win. Will never be talked about in this podcast. Right. Uh, you've got Gran Torino, which is sort of the big surprise. You can't not do it. I, I was going to do it if you weren't going to do it. Gran Torino. Gran Torino. Why don't you he come to your senses? But that's the other one. Fucking January, because it goes wide no, in January. Huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge Gran January Torino hit. taken... Old men Paul are Blart. seeing movies, goddammit. That's the thing. Those those three movies in January, a dumping ground feels like Hollywood being like, fuck, are we not making movies to like 50-year-old men in the Midwest? Um, you've got the mostly forgotten The Uninvited, the American remake of A Tale of Two Sisters, oh, directed right. by the Guard Brothers, wow. who I don't think ever no. made another movie. On guard. Uh, and then you have, look, <sighs> they said it couldn't be done. What? They said they couldn't do it. What? They said those dogs couldn't have a hotel, but they do. And Ben's not here to see it. Because uh, wow. he's, he's negotiating the release of our pepperoni. <laughs> um, so that's your top 10 in the Coraline week. But yes, Coraline uh, does very well. Hotels for Dogs, JD, just uh, to remind you famously, a movie that made Ben cry because he was so proud of them for pulling off that hotel. Um, David, just mm-hmm. as a film critic Atlantic, mm. the hotel... Is it for dogs or run by dogs? Both. Uh, you're asking me in that. You're asking me that as a film critic for the Atlantic. Yeah. Yes, you have a extra sensory ability to perceive and uh, process film, whether it's they fail or not, whether they tricked you. <laughs> <laughs> this hotel isn't for dogs at all. It's just for people, and there are dogs in it. F cheat, <laughs> uh, Ben. Hotel How for dare dogs. You. Hotel for dogs. A plus. There you go. Okay. Are, are the dog, is it for dogs or dogs operate it? Both, man. <laughs> well, so but like the, the humans dogs work there. Emma oh, Roberts what's, is. What's this little door? Uh, what is? <laughs> you know what? What is that little door? Go on. That's a. That's a door. <laughs> go on. Go on. Finish your bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what's 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 in the door? Uh, let's see. We might I send open. you in there and you might not come out for another two years. <laughs> Where's JD? I went into the dog door. I don't know what he was for looking dog for a hotel. An interview with a CGI dog. Yes. Uh, can I say two things quickly? You can. One, additional micro uh, merchandise spotlight. Uh, a cool thing about the Leica movies being funded by uh, Phil Knight mm-hmm. Is that they always do uh, shoes to tie into the movies? I was, I have this up. Ha- have you looked at what these fucking David Google Coraline Nike dunks? They are so fucking cool. Okay, here we go. And for this Ooh, one, they are cool. They're so fucking cool. Oh my god, yes. Right? Oh, they've got little uh, mice and cat on them. And these were truly, they were so desperate to get attention for this movie, knowing that they didn't have the marketing budgets to compare with major studio animated releases, that these basically were only sent out to press to try to garner goodwill for the movie. And they go for thousands upon thousands yeah, of dollars It looks now. like in my size right now, I'd have to pay $6,000. Do we think any NBA player ever played a, a game in, in Coraline Dunks. Coraline Okay, dunks. now I'll say, the Paranorman sneakers look like something you could see on an NBA court. Yes, that's but what I was looking they at. are my least favorite, design-wise. They're design sort wise. of glowy, they're green. Right. Those are also green. really uh, expensive. Yeah. The, the Missing Link and the Box Trolls ones seem to still maybe be in circulation at reasonable prices. Cool. Yeah, uh, and sure. the Kubo ones are really cool. But I, I advise people to look into these just to stare at them and imagine... Uh, uh, 
having the disposable income to well, pay yeah, for these Kubo sneakers. You'd like to stare into the void of capitalism and have it stare back. They're, look, they're nice-looking sneakers. But none of them are as good as, um, what's the shoe called in Elizabethtown? Oh, the fuck, I don't know. Look it up. Um, what's uh, the other thing you wanted to say? Annie Awards. Because I've been doing little Spasmodica. Annie. Oh, that's well the done. Sh- town shoe. I've been doing little uh, Annie Award check-ins on these episodes because mm. uh, it's uh, relevant, right? Okay, sure. Um, it, the, we didn't do it on the Nightmare episode, but uh, or we did. No, no, we did on the James remember. the Giant Peach episode. Sure. The Nightmare episode, it loses to Lion King. The only other film nominee is Batman Mask of Phantasm. Pretty decent three nominees. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and it, it sh- goes to show how much more limited the... Uh, In 2009, the lineup is the same as the Oscars, but they just added Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Good. Well, where's Panya, though? I, they put Miyazaki in for director. Interesting. That feels almost more insulting. But I was sure. going to say, the Nightmare Year, they don't even have a Best Director category. They have Best Achievement in Creative Supervision, which Selleck wins beating out people... Like Bob Camp, creative director on Ren and Stimpy. Bruce right. Tim, producer on Batman the Animated sure, Series, sure, sure. right? We need to be done. I know. This is the final fucking thing I'm saying. <laughs> You're doing the Nightmare on Elm Street category. I was filling in a gap. Uh-huh. The voice performance category, which I'm always really interested by. Right. To be clear, it lost to Up at the Annie's. Uh, yeah. Up the fucking yeah. one everything. Up, up was a big deal. Uh, voice acting. Jennifer yeah. Cody wins for Princess and the Frog, which is a surprising winner. She mm-hmm. plays the the rival girl. Yeah, that is weird. Yes. A good performance. Sure. Uh, Jennifer Lewis is also nominated for Princess the Frog, who I She's feel great. makes a lot more sense so as a winner. Fun. They nominate one cast member from Coraline, Dawn French. Hmm. Kind of a weird choice to spotlight her over Saunders. Right. But also, that's not the one I would pick out of... I would. I think Fanning's performance is incredible, but then yes, I would pick Terry Hatcher, Fanning, or Don Hodgman. David Hatcher all feel like more obvious nominations, or you nominate French and Saunders. He's together. David. God bless him. You can't nominate him because then you're just nominating him every year for anything Do he it. ever did. Well, maybe you give should. him an honorary spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other nominees were Hugh Laurie for Monsters vs. Aliens and Leguizamo for Ice Age. I want to say three. Yeah, four. I think Dawn of the Dinosaurs. I don't oh, know. you're right. No, that's three. Yeah. Uh, Pete Doctor wins for Directing. Up, but Miyazaki yeah. gets the nomination there. Uh, Bombac and Wes Anderson win screenplay. Yeah, and uh, Coraline not even nominated, which is stupid. Yeah, but it does win Best Music. Uh huh. Nice I score. Believe it wins, and it wins Best for Character Design. Yes. yes. So that's nice. That's nice. David, I'm trying to end the episode. <laughs> What's in this door? Uh, oh, it's all the different types of 3D televisions we can talk about. <laughs> God. Let's run through it. <laughs> all right, come on. Done. We got to record JD, another episode. This was so fun. It was Glad so fun. Glad to have you back in the main feed. It's good to be back. And now we have to record another episode. Hey, this might be one of the ago. longest ones, too. Really? Yeah, really? I mean, because you have the Hodgman, you have the ads. If Griffin really fucking stretches one of them Hodgman's going to do a tight oh, right. 45. He better not stretch them out. I mean, and we've got bits now in this, too. All right, too. we're done. Now I'm freaking out because we have to do ads. Jesus. All right. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing. Pat Reynolds, Joe Bowen for our artwork. Lay Montgomery and the Great American Owl for our theme song. JJ Birch for our research. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for some real nerdy shit. I think JD is responding to the fact that I now have to close my eyes when I'm doing the fucking rundown to make sure I get all the names Meditative. right. Yeah. Like I'm summoning He's, some yeah, summoning fucking, religious. It truly, it becomes a, a stressful point in my life. Um, 
uh, Blank Check Pod links to some real nourishing, including Blank Check uh, Patreon, where a month ago we will have done Talking the Walk, Talking the Moonwalk with mm-hmm. JD, which we are recording about 30 minutes from now. But right now on the main, uh, on the Patreon, we're in the middle of Kotze. We're in Kotze Town. <laughs> we're doing the Kotze trilogy. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's I think great, that's exciting, right? That's awesome. We just committed to this. We think it's a good idea. It's a good way to start off the new year. I'm saying it, so I'm like, it's yeah, on the record, It's on baby. the fucking record. We can't also, back the, the films that I think the most should be using the Billy Lynn technology. Yes, absolutely. Great argument. Um, tune in next week for Wendell and Wild. Uh, yeah. Selleck's newest film. Yeah. Which will be and a couple last, months out. His last film. For yeah. now, don't wish any ill upon him. I just mean the end of the miniseries, sure. the end of this brief little miniseries. Yeah, and we'll tell you what we're doing next. Mm-hmm. And as always, what's that door over there? <laughs> David, why don't you go through this David, one? why don't you go Please? through this door? Yeah, I'm going to go through this door and never come back. What's, what's on the other side? Looks like our lunch. Lunch.